You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome to the Oz Network, as we're finally getting into real Christmas movies, Ben, as we're here to talk about maybe the greatest Christmas movie of all time, maybe the most quintessentially Christmas movie of all time, so much so that Christmas is in the title, uh, White Christmas 1954, based on a song... Uh, from several years earlier, from another movie with Bing Crosby, uh, also with music by Irving Berlin. So uh, this was a movie, uh, what, a decade in the making, and now officially the oldest thing we have ever covered here on the Oz Network. So this is very exciting, and uh, I'm excited that Mallory insisted on doing this movie because I don't think we ever would have covered it otherwise. Uh, So we've got a full room here, So because just to show you how great this movie, as a Christmas movie, is Ben... We've got the biggest panel we've had for a Christmas movie yet. Let's kick it off. Uh, my name is Colin, and I wouldn't want to faint in front of the women. My name is Ben, and you do find me gay, amusing, good company, fun to be with. My name is Mallory, and when I figure out what that means, I'll come up with a crushing reply. And my name is Jamie, and it's mutual, I'm sure. <laughs> I was really hoping one of the boys would do that quote. <laughs> It's like the dumbest voice, the dumbest lady I've ever seen. (laughs) I'm very excited to do this movie, as I said. Um, Just kind of going through history with this. I mean, the movie itself has been around for, you know, what? How many years are we at now? 60-something years? 64 years old. So this is like a decade older than Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer that Rossi and I covered last week. Um and I think I was aware of this movie existing when I was a kid only because everybody knew the song White Christmas. And I think one year it was on TV and my mom was like, oh, yeah, this is the movie that the song's from. And I think I watched like five minutes of it and said, well, this is an old movie. I don't want to watch this. Uh, didn't see it until probably only about seven years ago, I'd say. And it was on TV. It was one of these like I wouldn't even say it was a marathon. Uh, they were airing it like every day for the most part uh, on AMC. Really? Yeah. Just before we got married? That was the first time you saw White Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, that that's just surprising. I thought you would have seen it like 20 years ago. No, no. I only saw this, I think 2011 is the first time I saw it. And it was on TV, as I said. And I think I was doing something. I was like working on right. the computer. Well, thank you. Now the recollection's there. Yeah. Uh, He's not lying, people. I in, remember. Anyways, uh, I saw... Uh, or I was working on the computer and I sort of had it on the background. I was always curious to watch it because they'd been promoting it like, you know, uh, uh, this month, White Christmas on AMC. So I sort of had it on the background and only caught bits and pieces of it, like songs here and there. Didn't really pay attention to it. The movie ended and only sort of watching it loosely in the background. I couldn't have told you anything about the movie, but I just knew like that that seemed kind of cool. And it was starting again immediately afterwards. So I started recording it thinking like, oh, I'll get around to watching it. Watched it thought this is one of the greatest movies i've ever seen in my life uh watched it pretty much every day after that i probably saw it four or five times in the lead up to christmas uh showed my nephews that christmas showed jamie for the first time yeah uh, just love this movie and i watch it every year it's probably the only christmas movie now that i watch more than once a year because as it starts getting close to christmas i usually like yeah i want to watch right quite christmas and then the next time it's on TV, I'll watch it again. It's just, I, I, it's a movie I can't get enough of. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that actually, because I remember you, 
now that you said that, that you had never seen this movie before, and then you had called me up, and you're like, I just watched the most amazing movie, and then you were telling me about it, and that's actually kind of what kickstarted me to start to really like classic movies, and mm-hmm. I started collecting a bunch of them. Yeah. Yeah, I remember It's that. better to talk. You'll get your chance. No, I, I, no I was just saying that that, it's, that you're you're right. You're not wrong. That you, It was only seven years ago. It feels like so long ago. Thank you for establishing I'm not a liar. I, I, thought, I thought Tracy had pregnancy brain. She can't remember things. <laughs> Tracy. I don't understand what's happening. Um, I had never seen this film until, uh, what, like 18 hours ago? Um, and what? I mean, I... I know. <laughs> Hey, you haven't seen Star Wars. You can't talk. Um, I can't must talk. Be an Australian thing. So yeah, I, I mean, I was very much aware of the song and Bing Crosby. My mum's huge fan of Bing Crosby, and uh, always would play the White Christmas album, as in the Christmas album, not this movie, which is pretending to be a Christmas movie album um, <laughs> around Christmas time. So. Uh, and I, I think I was aware of this movie existing, and then when I met Mallory, um, she would rabbit on about this movie being the greatest movie of all time, and I'm like, okay, and we were meant to watch this last year when we first met, but we didn't, because we didn't really do much things around watching things, at least, so... um <laughs> We never watched it, and then halfway through this year, I think you wanted to watch it, and I'm like, it's a Christmas movie, we can't watch it. If I had known what this movie actually was, we could have watched it like six months ago, it wouldn't have made a difference. Um, so, and then basically it came to the point where Colin and I came up with a fantastic Christmas month, and it was destroyed by two women wanting to add extra movies to it. <laughs> but, having said that, I don't hate this film, this film wasn't terrible, I'm not going to bag this film out. Uh, it's not the greatest movie of all time. There's nobody creating dinosaurs and anything like that in it, so it's not Jurassic Park. But I am going to stand by the fact that this is not a Christmas movie, all right? You can call this movie White oh. Christmas. It doesn't make it a Christmas movie. Okay, he sings White Christmas at the beginning on Christmas Eve. Okay, he sings White Christmas at the end on Christmas Eve. Outside of that, there is more Christmas references in Jurassic World and Die Hard than there are in White Christmas. This is not a Christmas movie, but it's still a good movie. Shut this up! This is a Christmas movie. <laughs> Thank you, Colin. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have uh, lots of arguments as we go throughout this panel. <laughs> this makes me so happy that like there's other people on my side who love this movie <laughs> to death. Like I'm very happy about that. I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. I'm trying to think about it, and I really don't. It was probably like as a baby for my first Christmas. My parents probably made me watch it. Like. My grandmother loves, loves, loves Bing Crosby, and I'm sure that she would have, like, gotten us to watch it at Christmas or something, but when I told my mom that Ben had never seen it, she literally said to me on the phone, how has he never seen it? You literally watch that movie all year round. Like, it doesn't matter to me. I will probably watch this movie, like, four to six times a year in a normal year, so... So this year hasn't been a normal year for you, then? No, this year has not been a normal year. It's all your fault, then. Stripped her of the Christmas spirit. I stripped her, all right. Hey, rude. (laughs) Awkward. (laughs) Hey, this coming from you, Tracy, last week with five minutes in, you're like, oh, Michael Caine's got a big penis. (laughs) How do I follow these comments? (laughs) I have no idea. Um, No. I, I can kind of see where Ben's coming from. And then before we started recording, Colin was mentioning um, It's a Wonderful Life. It's the same type of thing. It's like, you know, can you really call that a Christmas movie? But 
it is centered around. But I, th- I think, though, that with a Christmas movie, it's not even necessarily that it's like, oh, it has Santa Claus or, or anything like that. Like, I know that in White Christmas, they're giving out presents at the end. So that's really the only most Christmassy part of this movie. But I, I think, though, that a movie has to have a certain spirit about it. And that's part of what makes it Christmassy, which is why I totally disagree that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Oh, now you can shut <laughs> yeah, up. Because shut there's up, just Jenny. like Christmas trees everywhere. And it, and it takes place around around Christmas that doesn't make it a Christmas movie there there's lots of things that make this a Christmas movie um, um it's did, a did, did I say I was done no I'm okay. just joking I'm done no, I'm just just to make <laughs> it's not the first time you said that to Colin <laughs> this is not even my only argument for a white Christmas but for anybody out there who wants to say Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie this or that is not a Christmas movie. Why is It's a Wonderful Life considered to be the greatest Christmas movie of all time? Like, the movie ends on Christmas Eve, but it has nothing to do with Christmas, and it's considered to be the greatest Christmas movie of all time, but even the movie itself has nothing to do with Christmas. It just sort of happens to be the day that it ends on. The movie's, like, for the most part, taking place year-round during the summer and everything. This movie all takes place within a week of Christmas. It's about there's going to be no snow. This inn is, you know, going out. Let's give the greatest Christmas gift to this general. There's tons of stuff that makes this a Christmas movie. Uh, so Ben's wrong, and I, it's a great I, I would movie. Like it's to, a great- I would like to right now put an argument for the fact that I am right. And this is coming from no other person except from one of uh, the greatest screenwriters of all time, Stephen E. Del Souza. All right. Now, this is coming from a Washington Post article earlier this year, which is comparing Die Hard to White Christmas and the fact that uh, De Souza says, if Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, then White Christmas is not a Christmas movie. And there is a handy little chart and a checklist here to compare the two films to which is more Christmassy. Now, I digress. We have the first point is, does it takes place during the Christmas holiday? Die Hard, entirely. White Christmas, final reel only. Setting is Christmas Party, Die Hard, entirely. White Christmas, final reel only. Number of Christmas songs, Die Hard, three. Let it snow, Winter Wonderland, Christmas in Hollies. White Christmas, two. White Christmas and snow. Party venue threatened, Die Hard by terrorists. White Christmas by foreclosure. Broadcaster with hidden agenda. Dick Thornburg in Die Hard. Johnny Grant in White Christmas. German ringleader. Hans Gruber in Die Hard. Hitler in White Christmas. Government incompetence in Die Hard. FBI overacts. And in White Christmas, Pentagon fires General Waverley. And Christ-like sacrifice. Running barefoot over broken glass in Die Hard. Danny Kay upgrades Vera Ellen's train ticket. White Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. Die Hard is more of a Christmas movie than White Christmas. They are both Christmas. And first of all, I'm going to make another argument there. Snow and White Christmas are both played twice during this movie. So that ups it to four. Oh, come on. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I just need to point out while we're talking about how many times songs are played over. I love that all of the background music in this movie, like, it is very musical-like because it's all, like, reprises of the other songs throughout the movie. I don't know if anybody else notices this. But every time I, like, start singing along to the background music, and I'm like, it's not even the scene where this song is from. Uh, Just to go along with the music, just a little bit more history on this movie. This is kind of a different era for Hollywood. Uh, Musicals at this point are not really written the way they are now. It's not like somebody sits down and says, I need to write, 
you know, like the way Andrew Lloyd Webber would write, you know, Phantom of the Opera. Okay, well, I need all these songs to match my story. Uh, movies are put together by finding a songwriter like Irving Berlin and saying, okay, what Irving Berlin songs can we build this movie around? And that's basically not only the way White Christmas is put together, but even Holiday Inn that preceded this. That's the way that like Singing in the Rain was put together, you know, a couple of years prior to this as well. Uh, so you you kind of just take a songwriter and you're like, these are the movies we have, or so these are the songs we have. What movie can we write around this? So the title White Christmas, the movie was developed literally around the song and then what other other songs they could find. Um, I, I keep mentioning Holiday Inn, which I don't know. Mallory, have you even seen Holiday Inn? No. Okay, you should watch it because there's similarities. Uh, White Christmas is often unfairly called a remake of Holiday Inn, which really they have nothing in common. Uh, but the similarities being that they're both using all Irving Berlin songs. They both star Bing Crosby. They both were originally supposed to star Fred Astaire as well. Uh, they both begin and end on Christmas Eve, and they both take place at an inn. Those are the similarities. But there are even a couple of songs from uh, not just the song White Christmas, but there's another song from the movie Holiday Inn that appears here, uh, which there's some interesting trivia about, but uh, I'll let people is find it, that on that YouTube. Is that Pitbull classic Hotel Motel Holiday Inn? That's exactly it. Back in 1954. <laughs> is, it, is it my turn to talk yet? Why, why, well, did, why did you Google, is Ben an idiot? Well, Ben was trying to find his stats. Well, according to this, I'm like, if I can find one link on the internet that says, is Ben an idiot, then I can claim the internet proves Ben's an idiot. So whatever he's saying about White Christmas is wrong. By the way, like, I know this is really, like, early into the episode, but I'm really tired. Okay, well, let's... I'm, I'm going to go lay down. Oh, come on. Okay, you're going to give your rating first, right? Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to go lay down. I'm really tired. Go rest, Tracy. She's pregnant. It's all good. Uh, yeah. Are you going to buy this rented or bin it? Well, I bought it for you, and <laughs> I would buy it for myself. So okay, I'm there we go. Buy it. Oh, spoiler. It. First recommendation. All right. See you, Tracy. Um, bye, guys. Have fun. Bye. <laughs> Just jumping into the movie here. Uh, the first thing we get is uh, the big VistaVision logo, which... Just to let people know what that is, that's essentially widescreen. So here we are in 1954, and TV's been out for a few years, so movie studios are trying to find ways to actually get people into movies. So they try to come up with gimmicks, like 3Ds created around this time, and widescreens created. Most people don't realize widescreen didn't exist before the 50s. VistaVision was, what was the studio? Paramount, I think? It was Paramount's first widescreen. Each studio kind of had their own way of instead of just calling it widescreen that was VistaVision or Panavision or whatever else you would call it. And this was the first movie that this studio presented in widescreen. Um so uh into the movie after the opening credits, which is just the you know musical montage of different songs. Uh we start out during World War II, I think it was nineteen forty four when it opens. So we're uh in World War Two and Bing Crosby singing and dancing, because that's what everybody did during the war. Uh but this is a special occasion. It's Christmas Eve and uh, essentially the, the idea you get from this is that this general, General Waverly, is retiring or fired or something, uh, being forced out. And this whole Christmas celebration thing, I guess, is partly supposed to be like a going away party for him. Uh, his replacement is there with him, and he just sends him off on a wild <laughs> jeep chase uh, <laughs> to get rid of him. Hmm? Oh, I just laughed at you. <laughs> Okay. Oh, Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Everybody join in. I love that reaction of a call. 
What? So anyways, uh, Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye, who are doing the performance here, they don't realize the general's there. They're kind of saying goodbye. All of a sudden, the general, you know, steps up, and they realize he's there, and he gives a quick speech, uh, says, you know, be good to my replacement or whatever. Gee, I don't know how to get out of this. And he quietly says, you know, how are we supposed to end this? And he goes, oh, we got a slam-bang finish. So uh, they kick into their song, um, which was uh, uh, We'll Follow the Old Man, Wherever He Wants to Go. Are we going to do karaoke for this one? Um, you can. Um, Join him, Mallory. We'll follow the old man wherever he wants to go. Take I'm it, Mallory. No. I'm you pick this movie. of a white... <laughs> Christmas. Well, Wrong that song was played too. Ben. That was earlier than this. Oh. <laughs> you got the right movie though, so good job. Unless you were doing Holiday Inn. Were you doing Holiday Inn? Um, yes, I was actually. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I do like that as they're all singing the We'll Follow the Old Man song, you hear explosions in the background and they, the, all the soldiers start whispering, <laughs> We'll follow the old <laughs> like, Yeah, the enemy won't hear you now. Uh, the general leaves, and as soon as he's gone, everything starts blowing up. And the major thing that's going to happen, which is going to set up the rest of the movie, is that uh, Bing Crosby almost gets crushed by a crumbling wall. Danny Kaye saves him from this. So flash forward after that, and Danny Kaye's got his arm in a sling. Uh, he's recovering in the, the hospital or makeshift hospital, the MASH unit. And uh, Bing Crosby's saying, anytime you need me to do anything, I'm there for you. He goes, well, I've got this song that I wrote, and... I'm guessing this is supposed to imply that Bing Crosby's already sort of a famous singer, and he just happens to be in the army. I guess a lot of famous people were drafted in the army. And uh, he goes, oh, no, but this is a duet, and I, I'm, a, I'm a solo artist. And he's like, well, I guess if it you know isn't that important, you, I just saved your life and all. And he lays on his first of many guilt trips. And uh, Bing Crosby's like, well, I guess we'll give it a try. And then, Danny K., there's a great little gag, which I don't even think I caught the first or second time I saw this, uh, which is he shakes his hand with his arm that's supposed to be broken and then puts it back in the sling, and Bing Crosby kind of does a double take, like, what was that? Uh, then we get a quick montage of them uh, as they start working together, performing and everything. Uh, it starts getting bigger and bigger. There's all these headlines that they're, uh, you know, selling out all these crowds. They're going to start producing. Uh, their show is on Broadway, you know, pretty much the same things as you could read all these headlines about the Oz network over the last six months as well. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, ben Waterworth, Colin Hilding, make it big. <laughs> <laughs> Titanic podcast goes five hours. <laughs> listened to by 16 people. Colin loses it. <laughs> uh, Jamie drops out a white Christmas 10 minutes in. <laughs> Jamie doesn't. Is Jared Luby. In uh, Jared, no, Jared, Jared Luby. Jared Elliott. Oh, wrong Jared. Whoops. <laughs> Jared Elliott. <laughs> Remember him? Uh, and through all this, this is also just another excuse to throw in as many Irving Berlin songs that do not really belong in the movie at all. So the songs like Blue Sky and you know, Heat Wave and everything like that. And uh, after all this, we're, we're kind of just catching up to present day, which is that they have the... Um, uh, the Broadway show, which there's a bit of a plot hole here that it says on the poster is now in two years straight on Broadway. And yet near the end of the movie, we're going to get a poster about their brand new musical, uh, which is apparently two years old. And um, we get like the 
argument here between Danny Kaye and Bing Crosby where uh, he's trying to pawn him off on the mutual, I'm sure, girl who makes <laughs> several appearances in this movie, uh, which if you didn't catch the joke, because a lot of jokes in this are subtle and dumb people like Ben may not get it. Uh, <laughs> but every time somebody is introduced to her, they'll be like, hi, you know, uh, how are you doing? And she'll go mutual, I'm sure. Like, she's basically responding the wrong response, assuming they're saying nice to meet you or whatever. Uh, but this girl's great. She's like an unsung hero. She should, you know, she should have her own spinoff uh, in the White Christmas <laughs> Irving Berlin Cinematic Universe. Um, White Easter. And then the whole argument here is that uh, uh, he wants him to meet him, even if it wasn't this dumb girl, some other girl, because if he could end up having nine kids then spend five minutes a day with each kid. That would give him 45 minutes where he could get a massage or something. So Danny Kay just wants to have a little bit of a private life. Bing Crosby's the workhorse, and that sets up the rest of the movie. And they're about to go and uh, uh, watch a new sister act, not the Whoopi Goldberg movie, just another sister act. <laughs> but the setup of the movie is they've made huge success. Danny Kay lays the guilt trip on every time he get something he wants, and he just wants those 45 minutes for his massage. The, I had to... Obviously, it comes up to the present day because I was. They're talking about TV, and I'm thinking like we see a poster saying, "Oh, it's been two years on Broadway," and like the movie was 1944 before, so that puts it in 1946. TV's not like until the 50s, or as I looked it up, 1948. But um, it's obviously 1954, I'm guessing. So the, the Broadway thing's like the last headline. That's supposed to be like years into them. Working together. Well, remember, I'm dumb, all right? I don't understand. It's mutual, I'm sure. <laughs> like, that's if I understand mutual, TV. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you're kind of spoiled for choice when it comes for special effects in movies today. When you look, you're looking at a set in a movie in 1954 and going, gee, that looks fake, like it's filmed on a set. Um, <laughs> that's why I don't watch old movies because I feel like I'm being an asshole for, you know, oh, that looks so terrible. Like, look at it. You can tell that that's just a wall with flashing lights on it. Um, why are they just performing a, a show in the middle of, like, war? Like, does Hitler look at this and go, oh, we won't bomb them. They're singing White Christmas. I like that song. Um, <laughs> well, well, wait, wait, wait. Why would the the Germans and the British have a friendly soccer game on Christmas Eve? I don't know. Christmas I don't know Day history of war, Colin. All right. I haven't seen it in the movie. <laughs> Okay. This is more Chris questionable than real life. Was it in a book? I don't know. I didn't read it because I don't read. <laughs> this, is, this movie is based on a song and you're confused. Shut up, right? Leave me alone. <laughs> if anything, there's a group of people in a one confined space. If I'm Hitler and evil, I'm going to bomb them all at once. No movie, all right? Hitler, you shit. You had a bunch of them right here ready to kill and you didn't do it. Um... But I do love the fact that this whole movie basically exists because uh, one guy guilt trips another into hanging out with me. <laughs> Is that technically abuse? Like, I mean, if that was, uh, you know, like if Mallory and I, and I guilt trip her into doing things, isn't that considered some sort of domestic abuse in 2018? I don't know. I mean, it depends. I mean, are you manipulating her with something like, baby, it's cold outside? Or is it, you know, <laughs> my arm hurts, I saved your life? A bit of both. <laughs> depends if it's Christmas or not. <laughs> it wasn't very cold in Vermont. He couldn't do that. Um, but I do like a good montage. Like, I, I, one thing I love about old movies is you've got to sit through about 20 minutes of credits. 
uh, to kind of get a five-minute scene before we get another montage. And then, you know, we kind of get into the the the, bit, the most part of the film. So, And I love the spinning newspaper headlines. I think they need to bring them back into movies um, just because. Why not? Um, but, yeah, it's a good start, I guess. I'm not hating it. Um, they're in Florida. Is this the part where we there's a weird bit where there's snow in Florida? Or is that when we're about to get... Yeah, we haven't quite gotten there oh, okay. yet. Okay, right. Um, yeah. Oh, they topped the radio network poll. Good for them. Oh, I wish I knew what that was like. I've never seen that before. <laughs> Mallory, at one point, like, what did you like? Ben, look, they're on radio. And I'm like, yeah, they are. <laughs> cool. Just like you. He <laughs> <laughs> said, I've never topped a radio poll. poll. Like, I don't know what that means. Never topped a poll. Never topped any sort of poll. Biggest idiot on the internet, apparently. But no, you can't even find that. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying right now. Mallory, take take over. Um, I'm taking over. This is my favorite movie. That's about all I have to say. I don't know. I was listening to you guys talk. Um, yeah, that's about it. Do you know what what what's so good about the movie so far at this point? All right, like, come on, sell this movie. It's your favorite movie, and all you're going to say we is added. That? We added two weeks of Christmas for this, Mallory. You better give us more than that. Come on. <laughs> I feel like I just watch this movie blindly every time because I just love it so much that I don't care what happens. Is that like, like me? You love uh, me so much I just don't care what happens? I just blindly look at you? Is that kind of what you're trying to say? Yep. Yep. That's how awesome. it works. Awesome. Great. Good to know. Yeah. That's how I got myself into this. Yep. Um, <laughs> oh, you were about to say something. I was caught off guard. Come on. <laughs> um... I honestly, like, the war scene makes me so happy because you just, like, realize how appreciated the general is and how much they're going to hate the new guy. And I just, like, I'm a very loyal person when it comes to my workplace. Oh, just your workplace. (laughs) Good to know nothing else in your life you're loyal with. Shut up. Shut up. But no, whenever, like, new people come to work, it's just, like, you always throw shade on them and hate them as much as you can until they do something to redeem themselves from the hate of being new. And it just, like, that scene at the beginning just reminds me so much of that. It's like, you guys are so screwed. Um, we did that when you came on the podcast last yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. I Since you got co-host status. Yeah, that's all we did with you. Uh, <laughs> well... Oh well. That's why Jamie's not here right now. She was tired of the abuse. Um, what else happens in the beginning? Can you repeat everything you said? Montage. (laughs) Um, Five minutes on its own. Mutual, I'm sure. I always try to like read the newspaper clippings as they like pop up, and then I just get distracted because there's so many of them. I just point out, I love how you read those newspaper clippings. You don't even read mine that I write, and I'm a freaking journalist. (laughs) I love how Ben is like, oh, like, bring back the montages, and I'm like, this is the most boring part of the movie. Like, I just can't deal. Ben, um, you, you write newspapers. Could you include the word boffo in an upcoming article? Sure. It'll get her attention. I will and try. spin it around when you show, look what I got, Mallory, and spin it. I'm going to bring it home. Like, I, I got my first front page the other day, and she was just like, oh, I'm so proud of you. That was it. I'm going to, like, bring it home and spin it around. <laughs> like, and then I'll read it. Sure. Okay. Boffo. Yep. And then they sing, and you remember why you're watching the movie, and then we're at the part you were talking about. Ta-da! Okay, so the plot's about to start here. Um, so, 
the reason that they're leaving so abruptly uh, after this argument and uh, their their last, uh, we also do find out that this two year brand new production they have here uh, is going on hiatus for ten days, paid for ten days. So uh, uh, this is this is something that you know is going to bother me. <laughs> Giving their employees some extra money for no work. Uh, just going back to Christmas Carol, Muppets Christmas Carol last week. Um, but uh, th- there's a sister act they're going to take a look at to maybe include in one of their shows. You find out this was recommended by an old army friend of theirs. So it's like Freckleface Dog Boy. I can't remember what they call him here. Freckleface Haynes, the dog face boy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and his sisters, and I, I love the line that I think it's uh, Danny Kay has. Like, uh, how does a guy that ugly have the nerve to have sisters? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they uh, they show up, and you get uh, Rosemary Clooney and Vera Ellen, the two Haynes sisters. Uh, they're talking about, uh, oh yeah, uh, um, you know, I sent the, I sent this letter so that he would uh, come, so they would come to the show. And uh, Rosemary Clooney is, of course, the the one who's very opposed to anybody using any type of leverage or trying to get ahead in life or doing anything in general. Basically, if you breathe, she's upset with you. Uh, this is going to become a running thing in this movie. Uh, they go out and they perform Sisters uh, together. And uh, the two guys are both checking them out. Danny Kaye's checking out Vera Ellen. And Bing Crosby's checking out Rosemary Clooney. And all of a sudden, Danny Kaye clicks with them. Hey, he's interested in women. Uh, let me <laughs> capitalize on this. <laughs> and uh, I like when the sisters sit down with them and they say, here's a recent snapshot of my brother, which I love that their brother's in an army getup still in the recent snapshot, and this is like 10 years out of the army. And then a big cross like, he always was a good-looking kid. Um, Danny Kay... Like, wait, he's not as ugly as they make him out to be. Like, every time I see that picture, I just get confused. It was the 50s. Because... because- Really sexy like, in real life. I don't, but he doesn't like that picture. Does not depict depict someone like super ugly or dog faced to me. Like I just I don't understand. That's exactly what she said well, about no, me when she met me. So <laughs> I, was, I was just saying, I agree because we've all seen Ben, so we know what your standards are. No, but, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I kind of get what you say because I'm not going to say it's a flaw in the movie, but. It's all in the expression. And this actor, if he, they had had him, you know, where his eye was half closed or like it was just an awkward picture, you know, mm. it would have made it a little bit better. But it's just he looks normal. He looks like an average looking guy looking normal. And they probably could have <laughs> yeah. done something to make him terrible. Pig nose or something. I mean, he's, he's, he's a six. You know, Ben's a five. So this guy's a step up. Wow. <laughs> That's a nice thing you've ever said about me. Ben's like, I consider myself a three and a half, thanks. Five, wow, that's 50%. <laughs> I've gone up in the world. <laughs> I thought I went from three and a half to five, and that's 50%. <laughs> oh, 50% of a 10 is what you mean, right? Yes, Colin, yes, that bit. <laughs> yeah, Ben is halfway good looking. <laughs> um, anyways, so uh, they pair off here, and uh, one of the things that I really like about this movie is... It's it's basically about two love stories, even though that's not the point of the movie. But the secondary love story, the Danny Kaye, Vera Ellen part, um, that one is played for the most part like these two are just playing interested so they can get the other two together. Because these are the ones who will never settle. 
And I like that it's set up that way here so that any time they actually have a little bit of flirtation, it kind of catches me off guard. So when they kind of dance in this scene here and it's more just let's get these two other ones alone, uh, when you see them go into the big dance number, uh, which uh, uh, now I'm drawing blank with the song, is the best things happen while you're dancing. Uh, it's kind of just a nice scene and they, they have a few more scenes like this where you're like, oh, these two are actually kind of into each other, but the movie doesn't really draw attention to that. This dance sequence, the best things happen while you're dancing, is absolutely incredible. I know it runs like a couple of minutes, so I don't know if Ben <laughs> held this attention during it, but uh, these two are like, I guess, just going to what the casting was for this movie, um, obviously we'll talk a little bit about Danny Kay later on. Like he wasn't the first choice. He wasn't even the second choice for this, but just the fact that when they put together this movie, whatever studio, I think Paramount, whatever, um, studio this was Paramount, they basically had Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney who were considered the best male and the best female singers under contract from the studio. And then you had Danny Kay and Vera Ellen, who were considered the best male and female dancers under contract for the studio. And that's kind of what works about this movie is these two couples. You have the two are just incredible singers and the two are incredible dancers. Because this dance sequence is unbelievable, even though it's so simple. Like when they're doing the balancing act, I just love this. Um, you know, the, the singing we'll talk about a little bit later on, too, because these two aren't necessarily the best singers. Uh, but as this is going on... Um, Bob and uh, I always confuse his sisters. Betty is Rosemary Clooney, right? Yes. Okay. Thank you, Ben. Uh, <laughs> they end up having a bit of an argument because Bob actually appreciates the fact that the sister wrote the letter and manipulated them because he says, you know, everybody's got an angle. He's not even upset about it. And then, of course, because he breathed, Rosemary Clooney gets very upset with him. <laughs> and uh, she almost storms out. Um after they they all meet up again, uh, you realize the police are after them because of some landlord who's trying to hold them up for a burnt rug for two hundred dollars or whatever. So Danny K basically says, you know, go get your stuff. We'll take care of this. Um, really, the first question I ask every single time, and I always forget that this even comes up, is these guys are rich. Why don't they just pay the $200 instead of saying, why don't you skip out and have a warrant out for your arrest and then flee the state and we will be aiding and abetting fugitives from the law for the rest of this movie? Because you know what's going to happen is five seconds after the snow falls at the end of this movie and they're like, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas as the cops have caught up with them and these two girls are locked up for life. But no, they had to do this. They couldn't pay the $200 and Bing Crosby asked that question. Uh, so as a distraction for the sisters to get away, uh, Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye dress up in the women's clothing uh, for maybe the best sequence of the whole movie where they just lip sync to the song Sisters here, which is amazing for reasons that were never scripted. And uh, this is a, a bit of a trivia fact here. This is one of these movies where I think it would be really great if you don't know these facts to go back and watch it over again because Bing Crosby did not want to do this scene at all. He was dreading it. And Danny Kaye was just like, you know, he, he's just goofy. He's a comedian. So he spends this whole thing goofing off and he does things like he starts smacking Bing Crosby with his little feather get up and everything. And Bing Crosby cannot keep a straight face during this. And there are parts of this where he is visibly laughing while he's supposed to be lip syncing. And it's just it makes the scene. Jamie loves the scene because she's like, I just love that he can't keep a straight face here. Uh, so it, it's all meant as a distraction. But I mean, I, I just think the comedic skills of Danny Kay could not have been replaced in this movie. And Bing Crosby, I think is such a huge star that, uh, you know, it'd be easy for him to overpower, but 
I'm going to kind of make the argument that between the two of them, and I'm I'm a big Bing Crosby fan too. Uh, ever since I saw this movie, I actually got box sets of Bing Crosby movies. I mean, he just has like unparalleled charisma. But I think Danny Kaye is my favorite between these two. And I mean, this scene's the perfect example. Um, obviously, what happens is the sisters end up making their getaway, and they're going to meet on the train later. But I mean, this scene might be the uh, at least uh, up until the finale. I think it's the highlight of the entire movie, in my opinion. Well, he was obviously had enough charisma about him that he had a search engine named after him. So good for him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a search engine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and every time you say uh, Denny Kane, I keep thinking you say Denny Kane from uh, what was it? Uh, Boston Public. <laughs> Boston Legal, not Boston Public. Whichever. Well, you know what I'm talking about, William Shatner. Um, really Boston shows. Yeah, when Boston shows were all the rage in the mid 2000s. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, I, I do like when all four of them are together. It's kind of, it's funny. They've all got good charisma and good chemistry and everything between them. Um, Rosemary Clooney, uh, this is probably the first and only thing I'll ever see her in. Um, cause you know, I'm not exactly an old movie person, but, um, you know, good to see that George got some, uh, of his good looks from his aunties. She's his auntie, isn't she? That's the relation. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Um, did you know that, Mallory, that that was George Clooney's auntie? I didn't. I just assumed that it was the name was the relation and they weren't actually related. No, no, they are. That's Because uh, I, I knew that George Clooney had a famous relative doing something like this, but there you go. That's how I, much I know. Um, I have to question, though, like the song, that everything's better when you're dancing or whatever. Things you wouldn't do at home become natural on the floor. Um, I mean, you kind of read into some of these lyrics... Um, I don't know if they're appropriate in these days. And why is it like? I'm so glad Jamie's not here right now. There's there's snow in Florida. Like, can we establish this? Is this meant to be part of the hotel? Like they're outside dancing and there's snow. Like people say, global I've warming doesn't called- exist. Obviously, global warming does exist because Florida mustn't have always been hot and humid. Must have used to snow in the fifties. I don't know. Is that part of the hotel? Am I dumb here? What's going on? I think I, I always just assumed that it was sand. Yeah, I would think sand, because I've never noticed that, but it, we don't see anything at the train station. But when when Ben pointed it out, though, like, it looks very white. So if you can picture the um, stage there, there's, like, the little bit where they go up the stairs, and there's that platform. Mm. And just beside it, there's, like, a palm tree, like, kind of behind it with a little bit of land that goes out behind it. And that's where Ben thinks the snow is. I'm looking at the scene right now. I think because it's dark, but it like you can see I water, it's sand. a lot of sna- sand. Yeah, it looks like snow to me. Whatever. <laughs> You're just getting everything wrong. This week. Shut up. Um, Why have Ben is an idiot on Google by the time this is over? <laughs> can I, I've, I've done. I've gone to like an inflation site that two hundred dollars in 1954 is actually worth one thousand eight hundred and twenty dollars in today's money. Um, like, what did they do to that rug? And they the, didn't do anything. Well, in the fifties, remember, because the land, the landlord is trying to fake that they burnt a hole in the rug. Why? To get money from them. Oh, okay. I'm glad I picked that up. Um, but why do they send well, a sheriff after for burn? Like, Mallory, if you and I right now burn a hole in our carpet, are we going to have like New Zealand police after us? No, we're just not going to get our bond back. <laughs> Which I actually the- have a theory about that. Oh, please. I want to hear the theory. Like, this is in the forums? Well, like- no, no, because 
<laughs> they kind of make a joke out of it, or I think when they're they're bringing this up, and Danny Kaye says, "Oh, the old uh, you know, burnt candle on the rug gag, or whatever, or uh, scam," and I, I think it's kind of played as a joke. But I mean, this sheriff just seems to be going along with everything, and he seems easily swayed. I'm thinking that the sheriff and this landlord kind of have like a pack together, and this is how they scam money out of people, and they just split it. Maybe. And he gets free food in the process. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> His donuts and coffee. And then that yeah. the weird guy who like is running around telling him what to do, like their helper at that place. Is that Richard Nixon? I swear that's Richard Nixon. He really does look like Wait, him. Wait, isn't he the... I thought that he was the owner of the like cafe dance part. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think he is. Probably because it's named snow. after him. <laughs> you know, Ben's gotten so many things wrong. This episode's going to end, and he's going to be like, "Wait a minute, you're right. It is a lot about Christmas." <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> yes, um, Mallory. I, I will actually no. Before Mallory talk, this, the the sister song's kind of funny though. Um, like the lyrics of that too. What is it like? Uh, a Mister will never get between a sister, and a sister will never get between my man, or something like that. It's like, yeah, what? It doesn't make any sense. But, like, I I really wish I, like, was in an era where I grew up in the 50s. Because if this all that was entertainment, like, I totally could have been famous. Like, you legitimately just stand up there and come up with some crappy lyrics and do a bit of weird dancing with some feathers and you get fucking rich. Like, yeah. like it's not that hard. You're not that far off because here's another thing that might blow your mind. I don't know if Mallory knows this or has noticed, but Rosemary Clooney could not dance at all and they have some clever ways of hiding it through this movie but if you actually watch her in any of the sequences where she's dancing it is awful it's like it's like you know uh, a, a car wreck on the side of the road like you can't take your eyes off it you're like what is this i'm watching and on the flip side of that vera ellen who plays her sister could not sing at all but was like the best dancer working in you know the, the studio at the time uh, so one ended up having a, you know, lip sync the movie and the other one ended up having to hide how terrible her dancing is. So, I mean, Ben, if you had one skill, you could fake it for the rest. Well, I mean, at the end of the same, at the end of the day too, Rosemary Clooney is the auntie of Batman. So, I mean, you know, I could be the uncle of Batman one day and I could become famous. Who knows? Mallory. Yes. Oh, it's my <laughs> turn now. Okay. I didn't know where you were going with that thought. Um... This is possibly, it probably is. Oh, I don't know. I want to say that this is possibly my favorite, like, back-to-back dance song sequences in the movie. I, yeah, every time they go into the, like, outside bit and do their dance. Like, best things dancing? Yeah, that one. And then the guys sing Sisters. Like, I just smile through that entire ten minutes of the movie every single time. Like, I just, I can't pick flaws with it because I love it so much. And I don't want to pick flaws with it either because I love it so much. Shut up, Ben. Um, (laughs) I sound like Colin now. It's rubbing off. Um, I don't think I really have anything else to say. I don't know. Um, It's definitely sand. It's coarse and rough and it's irritating. It gets everywhere. (laughs) Oh, there we go. Yay, we've got the reference in. Woo! There was um, there was a questionable line here that I, I missed when I was going through that. Uh, when Phil and Judy are dancing and they're noticing Bob and Betty and how they're they think hitting it off, and he says, uh, "We'll practically be in laws by the time the dance is up." 
I always think about that because they're not brothers. They're not. Yeah, they're not related in any way whatsoever. The thing is, like, I reckon it's kind of the idea of, like, they're close enough to be brothers. Because, like, I definitely have, like, aunties and uncles who are just really good friends with my parents and that kind of thing. And so I reckon that that's what they mean by that line. But how old is know. everyone? Isn't Bing Crosby like in his 50s and isn't like one of the Vera like 20 or something like that? There's big age gaps between these actors. Um. Well, no, that's interesting. Let's find out. Bing Crosby would have been, yeah, he was 51 when this movie came out. I mean, he doesn't, like, he could pass for 41, I would say. Uh, Danny Kaye was uh, about a decade. He was, a, he was in his early 40s at this point. Uh, so Rosemary Clooney was, she was the youngest. That's surprising. She was like 25 when this movie comes out. Vera Ellen's like 30. Uh, but I think it's supposed to be the other way around. Everyone in the 50s just looks old. Everyone in the 50s? Yeah, I don't know. I I think that Vera Ellen looks younger than 30 something here. Cause she's 33 when this movie comes out. Doesn't look a day older than 31. I I always get confused because it always seems like Rosemary Clooney looks like the younger sister for sure. And in that first scene with the two of them, when they're talking about how Judy wrote the letter and how um, Betty's like the mother hen and all that kind of stuff, it just, like, you watch that scene and you just really feel like the rules are reversed. Yeah, they're playing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Everyone in the 50s looks old. They do! You can watch this movie a few hundred more times, I think. I guess I'm stuck there for the rest of my life, aren't I? Look pretty <laughs> um, anyway, so they make the getaway, and I, I like that just as they get off the stage with the sisters, distraction sisters act... Uh, that Danny Kaye tries to run back and he's like, we're a smash, let's take a bow! And he's really excited and Bing like, no, let's get out of here! Uh, so they, they go to the train station. Um, of course, Danny Kaye's given their train tickets away to the, the sisters here. And um, he keeps asking, you know, how much is the ticket for Vermont? And Bing Crosby's like, no, we're going to New York. And he's like, oh, but if we wanted to go to Vermont, how much it would be? Uh, they end up realizing they don't have their tickets, so they end up having to pay just to uh, sit in the diner all night on the train. And uh, once they get in there, they they kind of pass by and they see the 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 sisters, the the Haynes sisters, in their bunks. And uh, it takes a while before it registers. Then Bing Crosby gets really upset and he is talking about how how he's going to go in there and he's going to what are you going to do? And the sisters come up and like, oh, we're so happy that you gave up your tickets or whatever. And uh, they eventually decide they'll go to Vermont with the sisters. Uh, we get the snow sequence here. Uh, which this is one of the two slash four Christmas songs in this movie, Ben. And I mean, could you, here's the other thing. Is it really, I know I'm arguing against my point, but the song itself has nothing to do with Christmas. It's just about snow. So is this a Christmas song or is it a winter song? Like, I think that's it another argument. It is a Christmas song because it's a Christmas movie. Well, it is. It's I mean, a winter song. The best things happen when you're dancing a Christmas movie or a Christmas song. No. Gee, I was wish I was back in the army. Is that a Christmas song? No, that's a hilarious song, is what that is. Uh, but but I will say this: Rosemary Clooney did a Christmas album that I downloaded years ago, and Snow is on her Christmas album. So I'm going to say it. Yes, it's a Christmas song. Um, 
the snow song's really great too. Again, there's no dancing for this. It's just a fun song, and I like how they 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 sort of play around with the stuff on the table with the the napkins as a backdrop, and Danny Kay does the the sound effects for the trains in the middle of the song to create a beat. Uh, it's it's just a fun sequence, and I don't really even know why. I think it's just the song's great, and the, and I think Ben, you mentioned like the all four of these actors, like they they all have unbelievable amounts of charisma and they just click so well together and i I know i've heard a lot of um not as much about danny k or v or ellen but uh with particularly bing crosby and rosemary clooney how well they actually got along and that rosemary clooney said for years like bing crosby was her favorite leading man she ever worked with and bing crosby said that uh rosemary clooney was his favorite leading lady he ever worked with uh you could really feel it with all the actors in a sequence like this where they're just sitting down and playing around with stuff on the table. Um, I think this is... Um, I don't know if it's in this scene here, but I made the note here where maybe it's coming up once they get to Vermont, but um, uh, when the Betty, Judy, what's her name? Judy! Judy and Phil, when uh, Danny Kay and Vera Ellen when they're talking about these two hitting it off and um, uh, she says, uh, you know, I got some news for you or, or I got, I got a flash for you. Uh, she's a real slow mover. And then Danny Kay's like, I got a flash right back for you. She's in there with the champ <laughs> and just setting up these two characters as being like the, the least flirtatious people um, on the planet. Uh, they get off the train in Vermont only to realize there's no snow. And I Aww. love that Danny Kay's got like a winter jacket on and everything. <laughs> yeah. He apparently brought from Florida, <laughs> which he was not wearing when they left. And the electric um, blanket. And his electric blanket and everything. Under his underwear. Yeah. <laughs> Please. He Talk brought all this from Florida. Like, was he wearing this when they left Florida? Well, it was snowing in Florida, uh, so... That's right. There's Ben's proof of snow in Florida. <laughs> uh, but when they get off the train, they hear it was 68 degrees uh, the other day, and then um, they catch the uh, cab, or I don't know, the, the, the truck, whatever, the, the ride to the inn. And once they show up at the inn, the housekeeper, the lady at the front, basically tells them, well, sorry, we don't have anybody for you to sing to, so we'll pay you your half salary as a cancellation fee. Only for the owner to come in, General Waverly, who's the guy we're introducing in the beginning. And this is similar to what I said about the whole Danny Kay, Vera Ellen love story, that it never plays as a love story between the two of them. uh, Because they seem like they're just there to elevate Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney's story. For the same reason, that thing with the general at the beginning just seemed like a way to introduce these characters. So I remember seeing this the first time, and it it actually caught me off guard when the general came back in, because I'm like... I think I know what this movie is going to be about at this point. It's about these two couples. And then you realize, no, it's actually about this general. And at this point, he's just introduced as a character. And it's just going to evolve where it becomes his movie, yet he's not even the main character of the movie, which is something that I don't even think you see nowadays. You certainly wouldn't have seen in the 50s. Um, it's really fun with the way they introduce them uh, back here when um, uh, I think it's Danny Kay who goes, General Waverly, a janitor. <laughs> he's shocked. And he goes, you never thought I'd make it, huh? <laughs> uh, but they find out he's the owner of the inn, and he insists that the, the the girls can still go on. He's like, why? We have a floor. Why? We need a floor act. And um, when they're out performing their sister's song, there's apparently, like, I, I think nine, ten people. Eleven people in total is what I counted, including Bing Crosby and Danny Kay, who didn't intend to be here. 
so he still has some business, but there's nobody here because the weather is bad. Now, is if Vermont is one of these places where people will only go when it gets cold? <laughs> like, that's the one thing I don't understand about this movie. And I'm, I'm being a little bit critical here because obviously the setup is that this is close to Christmas, which is why people would only come if it was a Christmassy getaway, a Christmas vacation place. But I'm sure that, like, Vermont doesn't close down the other months of the year. I mean, the way that they set it up here, it's almost like it's it's the town of Amity and Jaws, where it's like, we only have two months of the year. You know, nobody's here September to May. It is Vermont, um, though, but really, they I should, mean, come on. They should have more people than this. Uh, I do like, though, that the housekeeper is willing to fire this act that came all the way to Florida. Uh, but they're still staffing a spotlight guy. Like, if you notice, they have a guy manning a spotlight who's, it's not just a spotlight that's moving. I'm saying you can see on screen, right in the front, the guy who operates the spotlight to follow the sisters around on the floor. They're paying this guy whether the sisters are there or not. (laughs) So why are the cutbacks? Let's cut the artist. Let's cut the spotlight guy. That's what I'm going to say to start. Uh, After they finish their act, uh, the the sisters and then the, the boys, they're all discussing like we feel so bad taking the money and uh bing crosby and danny k are just theorizing well you know what could we do to help them and uh, they need a real big they need a dynamite act you know it's like they need somebody really big and danny k's are like yeah sure and it's like they need somebody like wallace and davis no you couldn't get them they're too big <laughs> danny k just has such great delivery and timing that he's not being dumb i think his character is supposed to be being sarcastic there but he plays it in a way where you can view it as either sarcastic or that he's just dumb and that is his response. Uh, but ultimately they decide they're going to do some type of show here to bring in business for the general. Um, so uh, do we have anything else to talk about here? Um, no, that's it. Let's just uh, – <laughs> before they bring everybody else in, we'll stop there with um, uh, the, the formation of plan on how they're going to save the generals in. I want to point out that when they're all jumping out of the window and escaping and everything back when they're in Florida, gee, the taxis are efficient in Florida, aren't they? Like, they're just there. Like, they're ready to go. Like, straight away. He called the first taxi. I don't know why you don't listen to me. Well, I did listen to you, but the second one, you don't listen to me. It's literally like, hey, where's the taxi? Taxi! Like, they're not in New York. You don't put your hand up and there's a taxi there. It's snowing in Florida, right? They don't know what to do. I've been to Florida. You've been to Florida, Mallory. How do you think Floridians are going to cope with snow? I don't know what to do. Um, anyway, very efficient taxi drivers in 1954. Um, is this the only movie in the history of movies to be set in Vermont? I, I mean, like, when you, are we going to do Vermont Month, Colin? Like, for all the great movies set. I've been. You can find that on IMDb. Probably. I'm sure there's a, one of the tags. Uh, I've been to Vermont. I mean, I've driven through it. Um, I mean, Apparently, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants Part 2 takes place in Vermont. Of course it does. How could I forget? What a movie. Super Troopers 1 and 2. Oh. <laughs> Mr. D goes to town. Wow. Uh, and Johnny Tsunami. Oh, Mallory, that's your second favorite movie, isn't it? Yep. How'd you know? Because <laughs> it's We're gonna everyone's cover- favorite, second favorite movie. <laughs> Can we cover Johnny Tsunami with um, uh, whatever the Rio movie with uh, Michael Caine's penis? Sure, yes. <laughs> well, actually, I've just... Uh, so IMDb does have Vermont as a plot keyword for White Christmas. So the top five Vermont movies, according to IMDb, are White Christmas, followed by Christmas in Evergreen. I'm noticing a trend here. Uh, number three is Sucker Punch. 
Number four, I am legend. What's that? They're in New York. Is that is that when they go to get the virus? Is that in Vermont? Is it? Um, and number five, a Christmas in Vermont. <laughs> okay, so hold on a second. White Christmas is not a Christmas movie yet. Apparently, everything about Vermont screams Christmas. Apparently, um, Super Troopers, Wedding Crashes, The Stand, Captain Phillips, um, and What Lies Beneath. Wow, I take that oh, back. Wait, Vermont is the home of movies. We forgot about the epic sequel, Johnny Tsunami Saves Christmas. Oh, well, jeez, everything is happening in Vermont. (laughs) Can we go for a tour? I think we're our first ever international tour where we do live shows should be in Vermont. Goodness me. Um, I I feel like we had this conversation about Kentucky on one of our James Bond episodes once, and we realized there was a lot more in our Goldfinger episode. Anyway, um, the train stuff, the snow song. Um, it annoys me the way they're like, snow, snow, just the way they say it. I'm like, shut up. I want to hear about snow. Um, and snow, snow, <laughs> snow, snow. There's snow business like show business. No, I don't know that song. Um, <laughs> they get on the train and they buy a ticket, which is only like a little bit less than the rug costs. And they have to buy two of those tickets. <laughs> So, like, they could have saved themselves this whole issue by just paying for the rug like you suggested before, Colin. They're rich. So, you know, there's that. Um, And then does this ticket include sandwiches and drinks for free or, like, do they... No, because remember after uh, Bob pays for the tickets, Phil tries to grab, like, another $10 from him. He goes, what's this for? For breakfast. He goes, you can have peanuts. (laughs) So it would have been extra for food. Um, and then, Mallory, you pointed this out to me, but then the girls are in that room with the beds, but then they wake up in bunks that are outside of the room. Like, what? <laughs> I don't understand that. That part really confuses me. So, yeah. Um, the hotels, like, there's people in Vermont just walking around with skis and there's no snow, so they're, they're waiting. Again, they should be in Florida. There's plenty of snow in Florida. Um... <laughs> And then I, I I do like the housekeeper woman though. She's maybe my favourite character in oh, yeah. this movie. She's funny. Um and yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to add the um the fact that yeah, like nine people are watching their act. Uh I mean I'd be happy with nine people listening to this show, so I don't know what they're complaining about. And then the just of all the places in the world, it just happens to be the general's place. So okay, good for them. Um yeah. Uh, and essentially, if we were a feminist podcast, which let's be honest, we are, that this whole movie essentially comes down to men having to save the place because women can't pull in numbers. There you go. There's a feminist voice speaking for mansplaining this show or whatever it is. I don't know. Mallory, you're a woman. Are you offended by this? I I feel like I was going to make... I was going to defend the men, actually. Good. Because it's not... Well, no, it's not It's not based on their gender. It's based on their fame. And the and girls aren't as famous as the guys. My point, well, is, to go along my point that, is with that is that I agree with that, but somebody out there has probably written an essay about why this movie is sexist and why men have to save the day. Anyway. I mean, we could also go along with it and say that, you know, the goofy Jewish kid can only achieve fame when he pairs up with the handsome white 50-year-old. True, exactly. Come on now. If we're going to have that crap with Greece and Friends and all these other ones, then why aren't people doing this with White Christmas? Come on. Stay stay true to your beliefs, people, in 2018. Come on. 
Baby, it's cold outside. Yes, white Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white... It's racist. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. It shouldn't be allowed. <laughs> How come it's not I'm dreaming of a Jewish Christmas? Exactly. Or a black Where's Christmas or an Asian Christmas. It's racist. It's inappropriate. I want it changed. <laughs> I'm dreaming of a politically correct Christmas. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. Mallory's got nothing to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I can say after that. Um, <laughs> I think the snow song is the first time that you realize that what's her face is lip syncing. Because literally the entire song she sings with her smile, like as close as it can be, looking directly at the camera. Um, that part's pretty exciting. And I had more to say, and then Ben distracted me with his politically correct Christmas. Um, Christmas is offensive. Yeah. All right? Especially when it's white. Yeah, exactly. And it's cold outside. It's sexist. It's racist. It's not on. Why is Santa a man? Why isn't Santa a woman? Sexist. Okay. Um, (laughs) And then, (laughs) moving on, um, when they meet the general, this is one of my favorite parts in the movie, just because... When Phil sees him, he drops everything and the look of pure terror upon his face with his little hand that like melts from his forehead when he's doing the salute thing. I just, I laugh every time. Like, I just think it's so funny to see him look at the general and be like, oh my gosh, I never thought I'd see you again in my life. What am I doing here? Like, can I run away now? Kind of thing. Um, And then ends up saving the day. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) The end. Moving on. Cool story. Um, <laughs> uh, when they go to the phone to make the call about, hey, let's bring the entire... Because Danny Kaye is basically saying, hey, let's do our old nightclub act. Uh, and Bing Cross like, I got a better idea. You know those people who are paying for 10 days to do no work? Let's pay them extra to come down here and work. And we're still going to pay them for the 10 days that they were not going to work. Uh, and Danny Kaye spending the whole time he's on the phone saying, how much is it going to cost? How much is it going to cost? And then Bing Crosby is responding, okay, how much is it going to cost us? Oh, wow. And Danny Kaye is like, how much is wow? How much is wow? And Bing Crosby is like, somewhere in between ouch and boing. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the next morning, the whole crew's down there. So the, the general's like, well, what's everybody doing here? And they could say, we feel sorry for you because it's just such a failure. And instead, they're like, well, you know, we, we had to lay off all of our people, and now we can actually pay them, and we can, you know, uh, use them here and rehearse for our upcoming shows. So they're basically lying to him here. Uh, but he goes along with it. He's like, you know, uh, uh, I'm willing. And th- I think this is where they have that, that uh, really The guinea lie. pig conversation. Ugh. The guinea pig? What? There's a I, guinea pig I conversation? I so excited There's when two. This is the first guinea pig conversation. <laughs> you they, elaborate? No, no, no. They talk about how they're going to like test new materials and um like they'll be the guinea pigs and the general responds with well i don't know much about pigs but 
we can get you people or something like but, but that. But you, oh, yeah, I know the pig line, yeah. You're completely yeah. underselling the fact that got me excited about this movie. She says to me the <laughs> other day, she says, there's guinea pigs in this movie or there's a guinea pig part in this movie. I'm like, okay, cool. That makes no sense, but I look forward to seeing cute little critters that, like, Colin's brother has that are all over Mallory when we're in Winnipeg. <laughs> and then all of a sudden she turns to me and she's like, this is a guinea pig part. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's look forward to seeing guinea pigs. It's a line in the movie. Like, that's like, that's like me saying, like, oh, Mallory, Attack of the Clones is just such about sand. It's great. Like, the sand, you'll love sand. And then all of a sudden, this is a sand bit. And then, of course, it's rough. It's irritating. It gets everywhere. Not like here, though. Like, <laughs> it's completely overselling. I want to see guinea pigs in this movie. <laughs> there were no guinea pigs. But there is snow in Florida, Ben. That's something. Well, Okay, but no, not covered guinea pigs in Florida. <laughs> anyway, um, you oversold this. Anyway, movie. so they no, not the guinea pig line. Mallory really is in love with this line, though, because I was about to say the line where uh, he was saying it's like, "Well, we wouldn't be really good as generals." And he goes, "You weren't very good as privates." So uh, that's that's the line I was talking about that I really like. I really um, like that one as well. But the guinea pigs, come on, the guinea pigs, oh. <laughs> It's more of a guinea pig um, movie than a Christmas movie. <laughs> well, there's at least two lines about pigs in this, and there's apparently two Christmas songs. So Ben may be on to something. Guinea pig, guinea pig month coming soon to the Austin Network. <laughs> so I, I don't like – a lot of people say that this movie is very short on story. I think for a musical, it's actually quite heavy on story, but just in certain places because we're kind of going to get into the section of the movie here where – Sort of like the montage at the beginning. They're just like, what other Irving Berlin songs can we use here and build around that has nothing to do with the movie? Because now we get a whole bunch of rehearsals for this big production they're going to put on the end, which is apparently like a Broadway musical, even though none of these songs have any connection whatsoever. Uh, the first one we get is the the minstrel show song, back to back with the the Mandy song, which is just an excuse for Vera Ellen to dance and not sing one line. Another uh, bit of evidence that she couldn't sing at all. Uh, and more evidence in this scene, if you go back and watch it, of how bad Rosemary Clooney is at dancing, is that the guys are sort of dancing around her as she sits in a chair, smashing a tambourine with her hand, and that is how she dances in the scene. Then her sister goes out there and does one of the most incredible dance sequences you'll ever see. Um, th- this production sort of ends, and uh, there's a brief moment of uh, Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney kind of getting flirty here. And um, as they're going to bed, uh, Judy's basically telling her sister, you know, you should go get somebody. And this is supposed to be a setup between Danny Kaye and Vera Ellen where they're saying, you know, let's get these two together. So they're coordinating out the window. They're doing signals with each other. And she just sort of tells Rosemary Clooney, you need to get somebody to eat. You really need somebody to eat. You you look hungry. Uh, I hear that if you eat, you'll sleep better. So eventually, all right, if it'll shut you up, I'll go. Uh, So she... She goes, and this is just a setup for her to be in the same room alone with Bing Crosby. Um, and he's being very nice. He pulls out the sandwiches. They make some jokes about, uh, you know, oh, if you eat turkey, then you're going to dream about a blonde. And if you eat ham, you're going to dream about a brunette. Um, it, I did find it funny in this scene that Rosemary Clooney says, I don't know why I'm having so much trouble sleeping. We watched her lie down in a bed, and five seconds later, her sister saying, you can't sleep. Go get something to eat. She goes, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. But you look like you need something to eat. Oh, okay. 
And now, like, five minutes later, she's like, why am I having so much trouble sleeping? <laughs> her sister has power of persuasion over her here. Uh, because we get no indication she's tired at all. And uh, this leads into the Count Your Blessings song, which um, I didn't realize this until after the movie came out. I mean, apparently is like one of the most famous songs Bing Crosby ever did. And it was considered kind of along with White Christmas to be like a signature Bing Crosby song. It's a fantastic song, too. Uh, they do a bit of a duet here. They end up kissing. The general comes in and breaks this up. Um, and uh, the next morning, we... Uh, do we get another song right away? My notes are sloppy here. I did not prepare to host this. Uh, oh, <laughs> do we get? Oh, by the way, for hosting this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so the next morning, uh, we get the the general who's uh, talking to Bing Crosby, and he's just saying, you know, don't worry about me too much because I'm not going to be an innkeeper for very long. I'm going back in the army, and he's like, oh, uh, really? And he goes, yeah, I applied for active duty. I'm just waiting for a letter. And this is one of the few parts of the movie that actually does bother me. There's really only two parts of this movie that bother me, and this is one of them uh, because it's a little bit too forced. Like, oh, gee, I've got a letter from Washington right here in my pocket. It's not addressed to me. I stole your mail. I didn't realize I did it, but here you go. And I think he's... that – sorry. I think it's just odd that he doesn't give him the mail when he gives him the new handbills because that would feel more natural to me. Hmm. Yeah, because he's, he, he's holding it back from this, what he's doing here. Here's your mail. Oops, forgot about this one. Yeah. It's a know. federal crime, too, isn't it, to steal other this people's is... mail? Yes, but this is oh, also... Oh, right after the sisters. <laughs> Guys, this is the second guinea pig part. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's more guinea pigs, everyone. <laughs> I don't remember the line, but I know that this is the second guinea pig part. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Can we That's Google all. guinea pigs in White Christmas? What do we find? <laughs> I think I think Mallory's got a new role on the Oz Network. It's our guinea pig expert. <laughs> um. So, anyways, it, it, it's it's not just the whole. Well, gee, here's the letter here, but it actually gets kind of worse when the general's like, "Oh, gee, I forgot my reading glasses. Can you read this private letter to me?" Uh, and I do like that when he starts, Bing Crosby starts reading the letter from the army to him. He's like, dear Tom, why are you dirty old? He goes, ah, uh, don't read that word there. Um, uh, there's one, there's like, I think two moments in this movie where they, they kind of dance around like an inappropriate comment that you, you have to pay close attention to catch. Uh, but basically this guy is writing back who he applied to saying, I really enjoyed your joke. It must be nice to sit around and do nothing all day. I wish I could be retired and be a failure and be struggling, you know, uh, to survive. Uh, I also wondered in this scene why General Waverly is like want to go back in the army. Who's going to be watching his granddaughter? Like his granddaughter is clearly an orphan or something because her parents aren't there. And this housekeeper is just his employee. Like if he goes back in the army, is he taking his granddaughter with him? Is the housekeeper now her legal guardian? Um, is the housekeeper going to have to find a new job because this ends out of business? Well, let's be honest. The granddaughter uh, is probably some... 40. Because remember, everyone's old in this in the 50s. So. Yeah, that's right. Everybody, No, everybody looks old in the uh, 50s. So she looks about 15, so she must be three yeah. by our math, <laughs> our 50s math. She's a newborn. She's Yeah, she's real trouble. Um, anyways, the, the whole the whole scene just feels kind of forced. But, uh, I mean... It's just setting up. It's the first time where you really get that this movie might be about the general, and I think that's. It's always sort of lost me because I know this movie so well now that 
it, I don't think it would be clear. I mean, Ben, you can kind of tell me as we're going through the movie here, uh, if at any point you sort of thought or what point you realized this was going to be a movie about the general and not any of these lead characters. Like, was that something that became obvious to you at any point? It did about 30 seconds ago when you first mentioned it just then, I think. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I'm glad I can. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, like, you get to a point where you realise that, and it probably is just after here when they come up with this plan for him, um, mm-hmm. when you're like, oh, okay, they're doing this all for him. Uh, because other than that, like, what what is their reason for even being there in Vermont, really? Because, you know, it's the Vermont. Girls. It's the capital of the world when it comes to wanting to go places. Um, mm-hmm. Or they've just got a boner for these two blonde girls. <laughs> I mean, I think that... I don't know how audience 954 were thinking. And I'm trying to think about Mildred. what I was thinking watching the first time, but um, I didn't catch that. Mildred. Huh? Remember Mildred? Good old Mildred. Yeah, Mildred. <laughs> oh, blessed Mildred from the old days of 007. Oh. Mallory's not going to get that. She doesn't listen. No, she doesn't no, even no, does. It's all good. No one gets it. <laughs> hey, 007 has more listeners than the Oz Network has ever had. <laughs> 007, now available by iTunes and all the relevant <laughs> podcast servers. Um, anyway, so the general, basically, I, I don't know if this guy was doing this to let him down easily, say, you're too old, we can't be in the army, or if he actually did think it's a joke, you'd be applying again. But the general's like, well, obviously that's not going to work. And there's kind of a sad moment here I never noticed before when they're, they're talking about this game of horseshoes that people are playing in the background. And the general's like, oh, that's a game for people much older than I am, you know, who have nothing left to live for. And he's really talking down how, you know, you can't, if you have youth and life, you don't play that game. And after they turn him down with this letter, he has this moment where he goes, well, I think I'll go check out that game over there. <laughs> and I never even noticed that, but like, it actually made me really sad watching it last night. I'm like, this man's lost the will to live. <laughs> um, which really isn't that far off. Uh, we get the um, sequence coming up, the the choreography. Now, this is the other complaint I have in the movie. Uh, the choreography sequence, that, the actual song choreography, which is just Danny Kaye as, I don't know, like some type of uh, interpretive dance beatnik, uh, and the song choreography, which in the context of the movie has no place whatsoever because it's just, hey, you continue rehearsing. I've got a plan. I'm going to make a few calls. And they do the sequence, which doesn't have any real dancing in it, is an extremely average song and essentially has him playing a character that contradicts every other character he plays in this musical that's been on Broadway for two years. Uh, it just It's the only song in this movie that feels like complete filler that I, I feel like you cut out. In fact, I think if this is on TV, this is probably going to be the sequence that gets cut. It's um, such a weird number. Sorry yeah. to interrupt again. But I when this part came on, I looked at Ben and I was like, this is the weirdest part of the whole movie. I don't get it. Like, I don't like this part. Because it doesn't, it doesn't have the feeling of this movie at all. Exactly, yeah. it doesn't feel Christmassy like everything else in this movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it me? Yes. <laughs> it's just. Right. I don't know what to say. Like you're right. Um, <laughs> but like, oh, sorry. The Go song ahead. itself. Oh, I was just gonna uh, mention the the song itself. Like it's an okay song in the right context. It's just it's kind of like Mallory said. It does not belong in this movie at all. Uh, and it doesn't fit anything else in this movie. There's nothing wrong with the song. It's just it, it, it's it's weird because 
when Jamie and I were watching this, she was starting to get tired. And I thought to myself, I'm like, well, I could skip choreography. I mean, we're not going to miss anything with that. <laughs> and I think she ended up going and like brushing her teeth and washing her face. And I told her, I'll pause it. But I actually just let it play through choreography. And then when it was over, I paused it and she came back. She never noticed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the way to go. That's that's what I do with Mallory with lots of things, but she doesn't know either. Um, oh. yeah. I just want to say quickly. One thing to cover before we wrap it up here. When he's on the phone, the housekeeper, of course, is listening in on the conversation, but she only catches the end of it when, you know, uh, Bing Crosby's basically saying, you know, oh, I don't want any type of sponsorship or anything else like that. Or the the, the guy on the phone, this, uh, I can't remember his name. Ed Harrison. Harris. Yeah, Ed Harrison. He's supposed to be like the uh, Ed Sullivan guy of this era in this movie uh he's saying you know we could get sponsors in we can get a tv deal and all this and the housekeeper hangs up then like i'm disgusted that they're you know uh trying to capitalize on this old man's uh failure and his uh, uh having nothing to live for and then she hangs up before being crosby say no we're not going to profit off this at all and this sets up the conflict of the movie which is she goes and tells rosemary clooney right away you know, they're going to be uh, doing all this and it's terrible. And Rosemary Clooney, of course, because somebody breathed, somebody blinked. She's got to get upset and uh, ask no questions and do nothing to clear this up. Uh, but going along with what Ben said about how great this housekeeper character is, uh, I love that um, uh, she has the lies. If I'm wrong, I'll resign from the New England chapter of Busybodies Anonymous. It's <laughs> a very popular chapter, that one. Uh, so I've heard at least. Uh, us in the middle-aged gay men's club are often uh, <laughs> tightly in an alliance of them. It's it's good. It keeps keeps us busy. Um, the the minstrel song. I turned to Mallory and I'm like, minstrels usually wear blackface. Like, what's going on here? And I I mean, this would have not dated very well if they had have done the whole blackface thing. Um, would have gotten away with it. 1954. Just think you say that. But uh, why why is it was there blackface in here that I didn't see? No, but there's a song that's coming up, uh, and it's just an instrumental. Um, it's it's a sequence where um, Judy's dancing with some other guy just to a song, and they say this. It's the song. It lets you the Abraham number, and it's uh, an instrumental version of a song that appeared in Holiday Inn like ten years earlier, called Abraham. That was Bing Crosby and the female lead of that movie in blackface doing a song about Abraham Lincoln. Right. Okay, then. All well, right. Maybe they learned their lesson. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, the other thing uh, was that this is the whole bit where they're having buttermilk and different sandwiches. Sandwiches. Um, yeah. I'm kind of hungry now. I want sandwiches. Um, why <laughs> does everyone in the 50s, when they smoke, look cool? Like, I can see why people smoked in the 50s. Because just like... <laughs> Just Bing Crosby puffing away on a pipe and the general just puffing away on a smoke. You can like, they look really cool. Whereas, like, nowadays, you're like, oh, that's disgusting, smoking. Um, I see Ben with a pipe now. <laughs> trying to look like Bing Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> Done. I'll... Ben, why did you start smoking a pipe? I wanted to look cool like Bing Crosby here. <laughs> I think that's going to start off in 2019. I'm going to make smoking a pipe cool again. Everybody starts smoking. Why? Because Ben Waterworth from the Oz Network did it. Um, everything old is new again. Um, but yeah, the whole uh, general thing. Uh, Mallory turns around and be like, this part's really sad. And I'm like, oh, poor guy. 
I never understood. Well, I mean, the one time I've seen this movie, um, <laughs> I had to send them out because I didn't understand why they were so angry that they would want to host a show, like the misunderstanding about them having a TV show. I'm thinking like, well, why is that a bad thing? Like, that'd be kind of cool. Why are they so stroppy about it? Um, and I'm like, oh, okay, they're making misfortune on this old guy. Like, oh, boo-hoo, he can go play horseshoe. I don't care. Um, but the whole, the sequence where you're saying, like, the uh, choreography song, um, <laughs> I've written down here, dress up as a gay Frenchman, and then I realised, well, that's a bit of a weird term. She just written, dress up as a Frenchman. Uh, so... <laughs> Told you Mallory I was going to use that joke on the show today, but um, thank you. But, uh, but you know what? <laughs> He looked cool because in the 50s, people could look gay and cool at the same time. Well, you could say the word gay in the 50s, and that was a good term. Well, not that it's not a good term now. I'm just using a different Imagine if way. he was a gay man smoking a pipe, how cool he would look. <laughs> I do. Hey, that's the middle-aged gay man's logo. Shut up, Colin. Um, but when they're doing this weird dance, the guy that comes out of the ground or whatever it is, is that just a weird mixture of Jim Carrey and John Cryer? Like, that guy, like, uh, he really looks like a combination of the both of them. Um, yeah, I don't have uh, much else to add except, yes, the housekeeper is amazing. I love her. She's great. Who is who is she? Is that Rosemary Clooney's sister? Or... I'm pretty sure her name is Helen in the movie, isn't it? Oh, or it's Margaret Helen. or something. It's Helen Hunt. <laughs> Wait, I'm pretty sure her name is Helen or Margaret or something. It's completely <laughs> different names. Her it's name crazy. is Emma. Oh, what are you talking it's, about? It's Emma. So close, oh, Margaret. I knew it was close to Helen. <laughs> it's not Tracy. <laughs> Mary Wickies is her name. Oh, she was in Sister uh, Act. <laughs> And Sister Act 2. And Sister Act 2. <laughs> can, I, can I ask another question? No. Is it a little bit weird when uh, the housekeeper finds out that they originally want to put on the show and she's like, this is the nice thing anybody's ever done. And she kisses Danny Kaye and he looks like, what just happened? And then she kisses Bing Crosby and he's like, give me some more, baby. Like, dives <laughs> right back in there. Well, she's about his age. He's very so. undersexed, remember? <laughs> He never goes out with any of the girls that Danny Kay sets him up with. Danny Gay. Oh. Talk about, you know, people looking old in the 50s. This woman was Danny Kay's age. She was only like 40 when this movie was made. Oh, no, no way. No way. <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect, but holy God. <laughs> the Vermont weather really ages you. No, not like when you have the snow in Florida where everybody looks good. (laughs) This general was 32 years old, people. General Waverly was a young man. He was a teenager. (laughs) I'm done, Mallory. Anything to add? Okay, I'm going, I'm going. Um, where, Where did this part start that we're talking about right now? Um... Not a Christmas. Like, no idea? Okay. Um, the minstrel song, I think. The minstrel song. The minstrel song. Okay. And then count your blessings, and then the... Oh, count your blessings. I can talk about that. That's one of my <laughs> favorites in the movie, just because it's such a Bing Crosby feature, and, like, all of the songs are a Bing Crosby, Crosby feature, obviously, but, like, that one to me, just... I don't know why. It just stands out in my mind as, like, 
that's I just feel like it's the first time other than at the very beginning that you kind of really hear him sing and is appreciated. And he's smoking his pipe right before, so he looks <laughs> cool already. Um, just makes him that much more cool. Um, what else happens in the section? I don't know. I've sad probably already said my... General? Tell us yeah, about why it was sad. Yeah, sad part with the general. Well, you already talked about why it was sad, Colin. Well, I talked about it, but you can have your own opinion. I, oh, I have... It's, it's a sad part, because he's no longer needed in the world, and no one loves him. I know he has to play like. horseshoes. Horseshoes is a dumb sport. <laughs> is like, it a sport? <laughs> I mean, if poker's a sport, horseshoes is definitely a sport. You at least have to be standing up to play horseshoes. Is poker a sport? It's on the the sports channel, isn't it? Yeah, but so is like little league baseball. Like, <laughs> so is pipe smoking. <laughs> <laughs> so is lawn bowls, um, but. <laughs> Emma also has one of the greatest lines in the entire movie here when she's telling what's her face, Rosemary Clinton, that Rosemary Clinton. <laughs> wow. No, no, no. When she tells her that, um, oh my gosh, I just totally lost my train of thought about the Ed Harrison show and stuff. Yeah. And Rosemary Clinton looks at her and goes, "Like, how did you know that?" And she says, like any decent, self-respecting housekeeper, I listened on the other phone. I was eavesdropping, yeah. Rosemary Clinton. Love that. Like, any decent, self-respecting housekeeper would have done what I've done and listened on the other line. Um, Giving housekeepers a good name in the 50s. Yeah, why not? Wish I had a housekeeper. Um, we're going to find out later on, like, I think there's more to this woman, because she was his housekeeper before he was even in the army, and this guy was, like, a career general, too. I, I thought it was his question. wife. Like, you said before how he's... It should like, be. Yeah. It should be. It's I not. mean, she's too, she's too young, apparently, to be his <laughs> wife, but... Um, here, here's another question, okay? He's a major general. Now, I don't know a lot about, especially American military, but I knew enough to know that, like, the general's about as high up as you can get. So I looked at, like, you know, what type of command would a general have? Now, a general, like, a full-fledged general could have, like, 50,000 people under his command. This General Waverly was a major general. That's ten to 25,000 people under his command. Why does he know them all by name? And why did this one small group have, like, a goodbye thing for him? Why is he even showing his face around the common folk? <laughs> He's got like 50,000 people under his command. Like, do you think Donald Trump, you know, before, well, even now as president, do you think Donald Trump is like, you know, going and talking to, uh, I don't know, the, the switchboard operators in the White House? Or, um, like, do you think General Patton was, uh, you know, brushing up with the, the guys in boot camp? I mean, it just, it seems stupid that he would have any type of communication with anybody else who wasn't like top level it, it, that's like the ceo of a company talking with an intern you know it just it doesn't really make sense why he's friends with these people well you do know about monica Lewinsky and bill clinton i mean sometimes they do uh, fraternize with interns i mean that was hey wait a second what are you saying about general waverly and bing crosby <laughs> and danny k well i mean rosemary clinton clearly is the uh the auntie <laughs> of bill clinton so <laughs> <laughs> Mallory's gone silent. She's <laughs> just move on. She like, was a CL name. <laughs> it's like, is she is she really 
Bill Clinton's ass. It just reminds me of Rush Hour with the bloopers. Who do you think you kidnapped? Chelsea Carter? <laughs> Chelsea Grammer? Chelsea Grammer? What's her name? What's her name? $50 million? Who do you think you kidnapped? Rosary Clinton? <laughs> just move on. Just, we can do this. It's the same thing with like, it's sand, it's coarse and rough. We've got to do a Rush Hour month, even if we just have to throw it in there. <laughs> Is is the greatest blooper for any Rush Hour movie not the one where uh, the Jackie Chan's phone or Chris Tucker's phone starts ringing on set and Jackie Chan answers? He goes, "We are filming now. You're wasting all of our film." <laughs> I think the best one is when they kick he falls out of the window and he's like, "Damn, he ain't gonna be in Rush Hour 3. <laughs> we Jackie don't even do Rush okay, Hour. Chris Tucker. <laughs> Okay, Chris Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> we literally do an entire month on just rush hour bloopers. Oh, the field of fish. What is it? The field of fish. <laughs> I just, wanna, just keep doing rush hour lines here. We're going off. Sorry, Mallory. We're hijacking your episode here. That's okay. The fact that you're just laughing so hard, I'm just picking, picturing you just crying over there. Just... Well, Mallory <laughs> likes rush hour as well, so come on. I do. How can you have any black entertainers of this here casino? It's like, we got Lionel Richie playing all weekend. Lionel Richie ain't been black since the Commodores. <laughs> <laughs> Takes him to Chinatown. <laughs> hey, maybe you'll see one of your cousins around here. <laughs> you got an eel? <laughs> you put your own shit in the back. <laughs> you want a cup of noodles or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, Beach Boys. Everyone loves the Beach Boys. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Here, I'm Michael Jackson. You're Toto. You mean Tito. Toto's what we ate for dinner last night. <laughs> and then the part that always reminds me of Ben. What's he saying? I don't know. He's speaking French. Slaps him across the face. Why are you doing this to yourself? You should be ashamed of yourself. We, um, Mallory and I watched all the uh, Men in Black movies this week, and just some of the oh, lines nice. in that, and the uh, the improvised line when Will Smith falls into the bus in the first one, that could just be raining black people in New York. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, White Christmas. Oh, too- yeah, White Christmas. <laughs> We're bringing diversity to this Storals- movie, folks. There's no black people in it, so come on. <laughs> Because it's white Christmas. Exactly. It's literally white Christmas. <laughs> um, so, Rosemary Clinton uh, is taking it <laughs> way too far here. Now she's starting to ignore and snub Bing Crosby, and he doesn't know why. Um, they end up having a party for the uh, the cast. Our General Waverly's putting on a party for the cast. He's just throwing money around. Like, why are we feeling bad for this guy for his business failing when he's willing to pay a spotlight guy when there's no act? 
He's putting on a free party for all these people who are probably staying at his inn for free. Well, here's the other thing. Is the inn doing so bad? Like, how big is this inn? They have, like, 50 people there. That's probably 50 rooms he's rented out. I doubt this place has 50 rooms. Like, are they helping him or are they hurting his business? He now has no rooms to rent out. It's just It's Vermont. Business. I mean, it's the whole state lives at this one place. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, during the party here, uh, well, I guess before the party, uh, Danny Kay and Vera Ellen come up with um, this plan, or she's saying, you know, uh, the problem is, is my sister will never actually, uh, you know, uh, fall in love with anybody because she's always going to be worried about me uh, and, and that she has to watch out for me. So if I were engaged, then she'd be fine. And he's like, yeah, you know, uh, you should find a guy. <laughs> this is one of Danny Kaye's best moments in the movie. Again, one of those ones where it's like he could be playing it sarcastic or he could be playing it dumb. And it's actually funnier that you just can't tell which one it is. Where she goes, uh, you know, I, I, it would need to be a man. He goes, oh, yeah, that's an absolute must. And he goes, he'd have to be mature. He's like, sure. It's like talented. Yeah, you got to have somebody talented. Uh, somebody who's witty and gay and charming and attractive. He's like, yeah, great. Well, where are you going to find such a Superman? She goes, she starts looking at him. And, well, you're not exactly Superman, but you're awfully available. <laughs> um, and I love just the way she sort of corners him and starts like, climbing all over him because it's again one of those moments where it's like they're usually plotting the whole movie but they're still kind of into each other but he's like really you don't know like is it that he's just afraid of commitment here because he even says that line about you know i'm the guy who uh, wants to push my best friend into it but i'm you know i'm scared to death if i get pushed into it but this is all just to put on a show so that um they can uh pretend they're engaged so that betty and bob will not feel obligated to them anymore and get together um, I love the line that he has here about, you know, I, I feel the same way about my cocker spaniel. Um, <laughs> and at the party here, there's a great unsung hero here. Not, not just the, the mutual, I'm sure, girl who comes back. And Jamie just literally loses it every single time where she turns around and she says to Betty, he's like, isn't this a great party? And Betty just sort of looks at us like, yeah, great. <laughs> She's just so dumb. But there's the old dancing guy. There's, there's like this... Guy, uh, he looks like, I mean, he looks like 60, so he's probably like 31, uh, but he's trying to dance with uh, Betty the whole time, and they keep trying to get Betty and Bob together, uh, so there's a scene where they keep trading off, like the sisters are pairing off with the guys, and every time Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clinton end up together, <laughs> uh, <laughs> The, the other two are switching out. And when this old guy starts dancing with Rosemary Clinton, <laughs> um, the, Danny Kay grabs the old guy and starts dancing with him briefly. Like, you won't catch it unless you've seen the movie probably about ten times. But I, I caught it this past time, and it was great. Uh, eventually, they realize, well, it's not working. These two aren't talking to each other. Um, let's announce this fake engagement. So they do that, and uh, everybody's happy for them. And uh, Danny has the other line here. It's like, uh, in some ways, you're far superior to my Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> and um, Bing Crosby tries to make up with her one more time. Uh, but uh, uh, she kind of drinks storm- too much and she storms off. She storms off what? When he drinks the entire glass, he's like halfway through the glass and they're fine. And then he finishes the glass and she runs away. I didn't the catch champagne. that. No? Okay. Is there guinea okay. pigs in this scene? <laughs> I just tagged you in the guinea pig scene. 
Oh, I've Facebook. got a surprise for you later on. <laughs> Just oh, <no>. wait. <laughs> um, what's going to happen yeah. after this uh, is uh, she's going to leave. Like the next morning, she leaves. Uh, the general drives to the train station. You know, sure, I can't convince you to stay. And no, that's okay. And she leaves this letter for her sister saying, I'm so glad you're happy. And Phil's a great guy. I've taken the job in New York. Um, they eventually fess up when they realize that she's left. It's like, uh, we screwed up here. And uh, Bing Crosby's lecturing them as he's about to leave for New York to go after her and do something else. Uh, and I love the way that Danny Kaye is describing it. You know, it's like, we wanted Mother Hen to leave the roost so that little chick could, well, I guess we laid an egg. <laughs> this is a fetus <laughs> child. Uh he eventually says, uh, you know, I'm going to go find her. I'll see if I can bring her back. And I've got to, you know, uh, work out this deal in New York. Uh, you just make sure the general's not watching TV when this comes on because we're going to make the announcement. And uh, uh, that's kind of uh, the, the marching orders he gives them as he leaves. Um, during this here, um, there, there's also the sequence I said, the dance sequence that she has with the guy where the song was playing the, the Abraham, which was the, the blackface sequence from Holiday. And it gets cut from TV edits often. Uh, even though, I mean, the scenes, I, I, I'm not going to make an argument over whether it's offensive or not, uh, but uh, it's 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 a, it's a great sequence in Holiday Inn, maybe just, you know, the, the wrong context. But it's kind of meant to be inappropriate even in Holiday Inn. But uh, it's a great song. Get, if you have a chance, watch the Blackface sequence from Holiday Inn. It's, it's a Black real Blackface, mom. It's coming soon to the old network. <laughs> Oh, do you want me to talk, or are you still go ahead talking? All right, there was just awkward silence there. Like Ben, that's actually a good idea. Um, I don't know what else really to add a whole lot here. Um, I didn't get the fake engagement. I'm like, what? Why are they doing this? This is another thing I just turned to Mallory. This is me during the entire movie trying to explain what's going on because Ben just doesn't get it. Well, like I don't know what they do in the fifties to get people together. Like, you know? Wait, don't they have the line where he says to her, it wouldn't be a real engagement, and it would just be until, you know, uh, until they start getting along again. They actually say it wouldn't be a real engagement. The thing I don't get, like, like I understand it's a fake engagement, but I don't get that this Danny Kay guy likes her at the beginning, then when finally she suggests this, she's all like, ugh, I'm so repulsed. But then they end up getting together in the end anyway. Like... What? <laughs> Whatever. Because their number one priority was to get the other two paired up because they'd never have a chance unless the other two would leave them be for 45 minutes a day. Sure. Okay. <laughs> 50s courtship. That's why Tinder's so much better. Um... <laughs> well, I don't need to be smart to use Tinder. I just need to use how to use my fingers. And then that's about it. You know? Miss the days where I used to get rejected every day on Tinder. Good times. Um, yeah, uh, they talk about cocker spaniels and stuff. I don't really have anything to add. Uh, I'm not disliking anything. It's it's entertaining. It's I'm liking this movie a lot more than I think probably both of you thought I would. So there you go. It's just not a Christmas movie. I feel like Shut the up. words coming out of your mouth do not um, give the impression that you like this movie more than you thought you would. Well, I mean... True, but I do like this movie more than what I'm. I'm just trying to read my notes here. I've written, Judy and I engaged. I sure wish it would happen to me. Me too. She kissed. 
In some ways, you're far superior oh, to my cocker yeah. spaniel. Um, That's the um. That was the dumb girl who said that. Was I? I sure wish it would happen to me. Oh right, yes. <laughs> Mutual, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I've written. What have I written here? Bing sees belly leave going to NZ. Bye, Betty. <laughs> oh Betty, leave. Oh going to New York. Bye. Do some weird dance. Bing Crosby angry. Judy cries. We laid an egg Vermont volleyball. So aren't you glad that I didn't host this? <laughs> you, you really have nothing to add. Let's well, move I on, Mallory. <laughs> I just have to say about the big dance scene in her yellow dress. That's like... Apart from the... Oh, what was the other one? What was the name of the one at the beginning when um, Judy and Phil danced together? Yeah, best things happen when you're dancing. Like, that dance scene, and then the one where she's in the yellow dress that we're talking about right now, like, those are probably my two favorite dance moments in the movie. I always wonder... Are we... We're way past all of the scenes with the big poofs, aren't we? Dang it! I just I just remembered something, so I'm going to talk about it anyway. I always wonder why they have those like giant weird hand warmer things mm, in the choreography. You know, okay, no, no, no. You know, in the choreography scene, everybody's dressed in purple, and then Judy comes out in her pink, and she has that poof on her wrist. It's a Frenchman. It's not that bad. <laughs> oh, bad. <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to find it on YouTube as we speak. I don't think it'll come up with poof. If I type in poof choreography, it might be something oh, else. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. I'm totally No, it's like it. when she, when she, her um, costume in that scene has like a big, it's almost like, you know, those old hand warmers where it's like a tube and you put both of your hands into it to keep them warm. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those. Gloves. That's what it reminds me. No! <laughs> I'm trying to explain myself. Apparently I'm not doing a very good job. I see I see what you're talking about here. I don't know how else to describe it. See? It's like, you, a, it's like, you know what it is? It's like a pom-pom on the top of your toque, but it's wrapped around her forearm. <laughs> Maybe? Yeah? That's such a Canadian sentence. A pom-pom on top of your toque. <laughs> But, like, what do you reckon that's for? It's just... There's another scene in as well, and I just get confused. The Oz Network Balance. debating Balance. the big topics. <laughs> if you look um, at it, though, she's got that on her left wrist, and she's got this hat that dangles on her right side. So I am going with a balance <laughs> thing, because it's countering the hat weighing her down too much on the right. Oh, guys. Okay. Can I just give some pretty exciting news? Kind of off topic. Yes. Seattle just got um, granted a new team for the NHL. There you go. Yes, they did. <laughs> I just thought I'd announce that live on the Oz Network. <laughs> <laughs> While we're on the same topic of poofs on two. Can we name them? The, 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 the Seattle Cocker Spaniels or something? The Seattle Poofs. Or the Seattle Toofs. No. Uh, <laughs> Seattle Tooks. The Seattle Guinea Pigs. There you go, the Seattle Guinea yes! Pigs. Yes. 
Anyway, sorry. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to look because they have them in the very last scene as well in their big red dresses. They have these poofy things. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just want you guys to understand my dilemma. I don't get it. I really think we need to just do comparisons. Like, at the end of an episode, we can put it up on the website or something, comparing the type of notes people take. Because Ben's <laughs> notes make no sense no. at all. But Mallory's actually somehow make less sense. She didn't and take she any notes. Mallory did not take notes. <laughs> I'm going to throw her under the bus right now and tell you, she took no notes. <laughs> did somebody else a second ago, I'm just looking at my notes, Mallory? Did I imagine that? Uh, you imagined that. You 100% imagined she, She's that. watched this movie so many times Mallory's in her life. Just staring at oh, I'm just looking at my notes here, and Ben's looking at her stare at, like, air. She, she, she has been, for the, her entire life, been waiting for this one moment in her life where she can talk about poofs on arms and things. <laughs> I have. I don't understand what they're for. I just want to know. They carry they things. They don't make the outfit better, and that's really why i wonder like it, this it's... this isn't the right answer but kind of on a topic that there was really no way to bring it up prior to this um <laughs> did anybody else notice that vera ellen judy she's always covered literally neck to wrist like you will see her from the waist down but you will never see any part of her arms exposed, and her neck is always completely covered. Now, there's rumors about the reason for that, but did either of you ever notice how distracting it is at times, how much they cover her up? No. No, I always notice how thin her waist is. Yeah. Like, ooh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the reason why. Like, there's a, a lot of people who have theorized over the years that the reason they they don't show her arms at any point in this movie, and I'm not talking like, Oh, it, like a little bit. I mean, you will always see her fully covered up to the wrists, and then her neck, it's like they'll build turtlenecks in, and they'll be matching outfits or things that are supposed to look like matching outfits for her and her sister to wear, and hers are always completely covering her neck. And I guess a lot of the, the rumors or theories people had was that she was so thin that her arms and her neck just looked like almost anorexic. Now, the reason why is obviously not that she was anorexic which some people have thrown that theory out there but just that she's i mean she's like a ballerina i mean this is like a, all she does is dance she was the most uh skilled dancer they had working there uh and, and like any other ballerina she would be incredibly thin but i mean if you look at how she moves i mean she's obviously in good shape so there's no way it was an eating disorder but it's just it, it's another one of those things kind of like rosemary clooney's bad dancing once you know that this is a thing in the movie, it's all you're going to see anytime you watch this going forward. I literally never noticed this, but now that I'm looking at all of these pictures, like, mm -hmm. you're totally right. Oh, what even? And, and, like, neck, it will come all the way up to her chin. Like, not one yeah. centimeter of her neck is exposed. Well, like, even in the final scene, which we haven't gotten to yet, like, she has, like, almost an overcoat over her dress, whereas... Rosemary Clooney has like a V-neck, huh? Interesting. Mm. Um, I got really off topic with the poof thing. Sorry. First <laughs> <laughs> time I've heard that. Um, like, I've seen other pictures of her from other movies, and her neck is not covered. So I don't know why it is here. Maybe she was extra skinny in this movie. Maybe it's because 
they were trying to make her look closer to no i found one where her neck is not covered in white I christmas win. yeah in white christmas which in which the... oh wait no i'm lying there's a tie never mind never mind never I mind think I, I think wrong. i did read some stat or some trivia thing that her neck is not shown in the entire movie mm-hmm. nor it her might... arms it might just be because they're trying to make her look curvier and closer to the body shape of Rosemary Clooney, who is curvier. I don't but know. They, you could do that the other way because like they have in the the song that's gonna be coming for Rosemary Clooney, like she's got cleavage almost down to her belly button in that scene. So I mean <laughs> you could play it the other way and cover Rosemary Clooney up a little more. Yeah. Oh you know but... what those Cloonies are like. <laughs> They're as bad as the Clintons. I they think. are oh the Cloonies <laughs> and the Clintons. Oh <laughs> Interns and Batman. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what part of the movie I'm supposed to be talking about because I got distracted by the poofs. So we can Rosemary Clooney leaving. Oh, this part is just stupid. She's such a little drama queen. <laughs> like, oh, I'm glad yeah. you mentioned that. Oh, but her green dress is beautiful. Yeah, I want that dress. The dress that Me she too. wears at the party. It's like green, um, what is that stuff called? Oof. Dress. No, 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 like velvety <laughs> stuff. I don't know. Velvet. It's really um, pretty, though. It's like a really dark green. Dark green velvet. Before we move on, can we just give opinions on Betty as a character here? Because I'm always sort of torn on her, and it's... Like, I don't know whether to be annoyed that she jumps to such conclusions or to actually think, well, does that make her a better person? Because what I really tried to think about this time was not is she justified because she does jump to a conclusion. She doesn't bother to ask any questions. But it's not like she's self-righteous or anything because I tried to look at this movie from that point of view and come with the criticism of why is she being so judgmental, uh, especially with this whole everybody has an angle thing because I'm sure she does the same. But she really doesn't. And even in the scene where, um, y- you know, she's saying, uh, oh, I tried to talk to uh, the general to see if he would let us take the half salary still, even allowing us to work here. She's still trying to cut him deals, even at her own disadvantage. I don't know whether this character is intended to be so good that, you know, it, it, maybe it, it accidentally comes across as self-righteous or... Uh, annoying at times or if it just sort of plays that way because that's the way the audience views it i mean how do you guys view this character is she annoying because she's self-righteous and jumps to conclusions or is she such a good character like good person is in well-intentioned that this is just who she is i I always get annoyed like yeah even at the beginning in the scene where they're talking about the angles like right after the show like, I already am annoyed at her at that point. Mm. And this is just, like, to me, her fatal mistake. I don't know. I Maybe don't, I'm wrong. I mean, between her and, like, they both kind of are interchangeable to me. They don't, I don't feel annoyed, really. I just kind of feel like this is what these type of movies in the 50s are like with women. I don't know. Like, this is just generally what they're always like at this point in time. So to me, it's not nothing really. New. I would say the opposite. I would say she's almost more complex of a character because 
it's not like I mean I think if 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 it were completely a misunderstanding that would be like your typical character but it's really not it's a misunderstanding but not from her point of view if she were told this is what they're doing they are commercializing this they're doing that then she does have a reason to be upset now should she at least talk to them maybe but at no point does she go out of her way to judge them or criticize them or anything else i mean that's why i found harder this time watching it is i can't really get upset with her because she's doing this and jumping to conclusions because at no point is she trying to run anybody down she's like i just don't want to be a part of this yeah i don't know i still get annoyed at her (laughs) <laughs> I also feel like it's very impressive that, like, at the point where she leaves, they just keep going and just replace her and say, like, oh, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I find that very impressive. Her understudy must have been very good. Oh, I made a note about the understudy coming up. Hillary Clinton. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Rosemary Clooney's understudy was Rosemary Clinton. <laughs> um we got to wrap up the movie in this last section here. Uh, so when he goes off to New York, um, before he appears on the uh, the Ed Sullivan show or whatever, um, <laughs> he goes to Rosemary Clinton's club, and she sings Love You Didn't Do Right By Me, which, again, an incredible song that I think it would have felt forced if it wasn't for how good Rosemary Clooney was at selling this song. Uh, this could have felt like, well, what is this? How does this song belong in the movie? But like her performance is great, and it, like her vocals are incredible. And just like White Christmas was to Bill, Bing Crosby, that's what this song, I guess, eventually became to Rosemary Clooney. This was like her signature song that, until the day she died, anytime she did a live performance, you know, whether it be a full concert or just one or two songs, she would always have to do "Love You Didn't Do Right by Me." Um, she talks with Bing Crosby quickly after this and she's still not saying, you know, what the problem was. She's like, I just can't come back. I'm sorry, but she's not being mean to him. This is where, again, I get kind of torn on her because there are times where I'm kind of annoyed, but then I'm like, well, she's not treating anybody badly at least. So I think more than anything, I just, I don't view her as a self-righteous character. I just view her as a character that is so righteous and she just wants to keep it to herself, but she's dumb because she didn't bother to ask one question. Uh, he's even trying to say, like, I don't know what I did, but I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> he's doing like the typical guy thing here. I don't know what I did, but I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, and he's saying that they fake the engagement. You should come back. She's like, well, I don't know. I'll think about it. And she eventually just kind of blowing him off. Uh, it's not helped by the fact that the host of the show shows up here and he's like, I got the whole deal squared away. And that you can see it even more from her point of view because it's not just she heard one thing from a busybody, a gossiping housekeeper. Uh, but it keeps getting reinforced because even when she asked him about this, uh, like uh, earlier when the housekeeper told her, um, he was like, yeah, it's a great deal, isn't it? And she's like, um, if you say so. Uh, but here, it's not helped when the guy's talking about, I've got everything set up with the sponsors and all that. Meanwhile, he's just talking about the show. Uh, so that the general doesn't get the spoiled when he's watching the show, uh, they create a distraction, which first is the granddaughter saying, the battery in the Jeep is dead, and then becomes, oh, you got to come quick. He he fell down the stairs. Uh, and you have Danny Kay at the bottom of the stairs uh, talking about, it's just a small internal musculatory hemorrhage. <laughs> just putting off all these medical things, and he's like, I'm going to call an ambulance. No, 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 just uh, walk me around the barn a couple times. 
and he's doing like this hilarious fake limp thing. Uh, this is where he has the line is like I, it whispers like, "Can we go outside? I wouldn't want to faint in front of the women." <laughs> and um, as Bing Crosby's on the show, he does this song, "What Can You Do with a General," uh, which I've read some people criticize this song as being like attacked on song one degree. But I actually, this song's really grown on me over the years. I love this song, especially because I think this is where this is the first time in the movie where there's a little bit of emotion. Like I know Mallory said the other scene was sad, but you start to get really what the whole point of this movie is here, where just in the song itself, is like, what do you do with a general, uh, you know, who, who's basically unemployed once he's out of the army? And then he gives this speech about, uh, you know, this is all, all just for the general. Anybody who can come, please come. Uh, nobody's profiting from this whatsoever. And Betty's finally listening, and she finally hears, well, nobody's profiting from this. Uh, so I guess I can go back. Um, they cut to, I guess it's supposed to be the next day or a few days later on Christmas Eve, and there's all these trains coming in to the train station, and all these old soldiers, approximately ten to 25,000 people who all know the Major General personally, um, come out, and the inn's full, and backstage, uh, one of the funniest moments in this uh, movie here is where there's this uh, uh, one... Uh, guy who's trying to button up his shirt and he's saying to Bing Crosby, Captain, this thing shrunk! And he goes, uh, well, apparently your appetite didn't. That's um, not funny, that's fat shaming. (laughs) (laughs) So not only is it white Christmas, it's also fat shaming. This is really what's happened. Like, people have jumped on the bandwagon of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is uh, a prejudiced movie, it's uh, endorsing bullying, Um, the the baby's cold outside is endorsing rape, now White Christmas is fat shaming. It is. You know which one of those what you get the you most of time. Christmas? Not the fat shaming one. Um, but it's pro poof, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the sleeves. <laughs> um, and the French. I'm only, believe it or not, I'm only guessing what you're talking about with that because that slang is not used it's, here. It's, it is a derogatory slang. term used in Australia. For homosexual people, it's wrong. I shouldn't have used it. Uh, okay, but so- <laughs> we say poof, not poof. That's just the accent. I, I, I was just guessing from the way it was set up that I'm like, I'm guessing this is a derogatory term for something. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, so the general is getting changed and uh, an even better setup here is uh, he's like, well, how come you sent all my suits to the cleaners? Well, you only have two suits. He's like, why don't you wear your uniform? I am not going to appear in uniform. He's getting really upset with the army at this point. Uh, just as they're about to start this show, Betty shows up, and I realize, this is where I suddenly realize, I'm like, her poor understudy, who's been, you know, killing herself the last couple of days to learn all these songs. Well, like, they were going to go on with this show with or without her, and now all of a sudden, sorry, you're bumped. And who is the understudy? Who is she? Who is the understudy? Um, Um, I don't know. But here's what this movie's all about. Now, I think when I saw this movie, like, actually watched it straight through the first time. I was enjoying the movie. But this one moment here, like, you could sell the entire movie on just how powerful this one moment is when he comes down the stairs, the general comes down the stairs. And this is what I was saying. What's so great about this is it's not a movie about these two couples getting together. This entire movie is just about this general. I think that that's why I love this movie so much, that it's not the storyline you expect. And when you get it, it's somehow more satisfying because it's it's not a cheap thing. This is – you don't see stories like this ever. 
Uh, I mean, I can't think of any movie that's about, you know, uh, there, there's stories about, well, what happens when soldiers get home, you know, um, like The Deer Hunter or Rambo. Uh, you know, those are obviously different takes on it, darker. This is just kind of sad, like a guy who dedicated himself to the army who was able to command, you know, all these people. And, and uh, the housekeeper even had that line when he's like, you know, I could get along fine without you. And she's like, it took 15,000 men to take my place. Um uh, so there we get the number there. It's 15,000 people that are here for the show. Uh, but uh, that moment when he walks down the stairs and you realize he's in the uniform and the granddaughter escorts him in, and it's just it's played so silently. And I'll, I'll give the director a little bit of credit here because uh, it's the first time we'll mention him. But like Michael Curtiz, who's the director, he made another movie that was semi-famous called Casablanca uh, about a oh, year prior to this, <laughs> which – I mean, I don't think this movie, you know, even gets mentioned in the same sentence. But I mean, this is the director of what's considered one of the, I think, on the, both times the AFI did their top 100 list, one of the top five greatest movies in Hollywood history. And the same director went on to make White Christmas. And I think a scene like this shows why you need a director like that. Because I don't think anybody could pull it off with just that silent walking through the lobby. And then he opens the door. And just the way that. It opens and you see him. You don't even see the crowd. You've never seen the crowd up until this point. And you just have the guy going, 10, hunt. And then everybody sort of falls in. And you cut and just all the applause. Like, I, I've never cried during a movie in my entire life. But if there's any moment that's gotten me a little bit choked up, it's this. And it's, I'm never talking the first time, like 10, 20 times in watching this movie. And I'll see this and I'll kind of feel a little bit of a choke in my throat. I'm like, wow, like what a moment this is. It's the reaction that this guy has, that the actor who plays uh, the general here, that's so sincere. And he plays it, again, against what you expect. He doesn't burst into tears. Like, Jamie, as this is coming up, is like, I love the part where he cries. And I'm like, I don't think he even sheds a tear in this scene. It's just the look on his face that is so happy. Uh, and they have the cake they cut, and then he gives his speech, which is the typical general speech, like, uh, you're all a disgrace, and you know, you've made me the happiest general ever. And then they get into the finale, which is their stage show they've been putting on, which starts with a G.I. Wish I Was Back in the Army song, which is a hilarious song, and there's some great lyrics in it uh, about uh, three meals a day, uh, um, uh, in which you're getting paid and everything. And then uh, the women saying, like, there's so many handsome men, you get all this attention. And uh, Baby, It's Cold Outside, and a whole bunch of other things that aren't going to be able to be shown on TV in another two years. And um, I love the part where, uh, first, Rosemary Clooney, if you really want to see the worst dancing ever, watch the opening of Gee, I Wish I Was Back in the Army, and Rosemary Clooney literally walking on stage, moving her arms left to right. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I dance. You can... You can look it up on YouTube right now if you can, because it is worth watching. It is so funny to see how bad she is here, because they literally gave all four of them the easiest thing they can do, and she still somehow manages to look awkward here. Uh, then they sort of hide it by coming up with that the giant cardboard cutouts of the the cartoonish bodies, and their heads are just in there, and that's how they end this number. Uh, I'm guessing they kind of are implying they skip like the entire show here uh, as they're changing the set. Uh, you see that there's snow outside finally. And that's another one of the moments where it almost makes me want to get choked up here because you realize, like, you've forgotten about the fact that this is his business dependent on it needs to snow. And when it finally does snow, you've already forgotten about the fact that, hey, there's no snow here because you think now, well, it's just about doing this thing for the general. 
and it starts snowing and like it's such a happy moment it looks incredible again just being you mentioned about how fake it looks like i think there's something appealing about how fake and how much this looks like a sound stage in this movie uh just the shot at slate coming in which i think is hilarious because that slate the snow just started that slate had to start somewhere was it like going through the mud and the muck and then all of a sudden it's like, great, it's snowing. This is going to be a breeze. <laughs> Some of those people um, know their skis or, we saw before. They put the skis underneath it or something like that. This guy started in Florida and the snow yeah, just did. caught up to him by the yep. time he got here. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, after the snow comes, the general goes outside. And there's, uh, I guess, a bit of a plot hole here where uh, the general's getting up after they told him something so he can come see the snow. And his granddaughter is about to follow him. And the housekeeper shoves the granddaughter back in her seat. He's like, no, no, let him go himself. In the very next shot, the general's outside. And the granddaughter and housekeeper are right behind him. So I don't know if there's an editing mistake there or if it is just a complete plot hole. Uh, but he sees the snow. And it's another really happy moment. He comes back inside. And they get into the white Christmas number. Again, Ben, this entire movie is leading up to a Christmas performance. It's all about this Christmas gift for this general. Now we get the White Christmas song. Um, it's not like at any point I was forgetting this was about Christmas, but apparently Ben did. And uh, during the performance here, Betty slips a thing into Santa, a.k.a. Bing Crosby's bag. It's the White Knight, which she's made many references to earlier about the White Knight falling off the horse. Uh, so happy ending as they end on stage. They open up the back. It's such a great visual where during the final chorus of White Christmas, everybody is singing it and they open up the, the, the lodge doors behind them and everybody sees the snow for the first time and there's big applause. Such a great moment. And then uh, the, the just as they're getting ready to leave, the two couples, uh, Danny Kay saying, we got to take this show on the road. And he goes, no, I'm going to be busy. And he kisses Rosemary Clooney and then Danny Kay's like, oh, I'll join you. And he kisses uh, Virel and happy ending for everybody. And there's snow everywhere and the general's life and business has been saved. And it's a white Christmas from start to finish. Right, Ben? Well, this business and livelihood has been saved until June when it's hot and there's no snow. Um, I don't get... Because nobody goes to Vermont. Exactly. Um, that's their tourist slogan. Nobody comes to Vermont. <laughs> um, but, like, I, is this a thing? Like, the generals are forgotten about and not ever hired and all this sort of stuff? Like, I felt feel well, like they would get quite well paid for their role and then... What they are you going to do with those skills? I mean, what does a president of the United States do after they've retired? Barack Obama's still making quite a bit of money for himself going around talking about being president. He can't even talk about being a general. Like, I was a general during WW2. I beat Hitler. Sweet. He's 50 bucks when he's speak. I don't, I don't know if motivational speaking was a big thing in 54. Well, that's his own fault for not being in the right era, right? <laughs> Should have been a DeLorean and travelled in time or something. I don't know. Um, but, I mean, it's kind of sad to think that that's what happened. But, I mean, I've been to America. I've seen how well they treat their, you know, how much they respect their military. So maybe they didn't do it in the 50s. I don't know. Um, they didn't really exactly respect people of different skin colour in the 50s. So probably not the army. Um, yeah, it's... I... <laughs> <laughs> the the whole suit bit is you know it's nice I I was nowhere near crying it wasn't Titanic, um but Ugh, disgusting 
It, it, I do like the scene when he walks in and kind of everybody's there. It's, it's a nice little scene. Although I don't, the fat shaming bit's just mean. Like, poor guy. Like, you know, he's, it's been 10 years since the end of the war. He's let eat. Right? Doesn't have to get up every morning and goes. Why are all these people able to come to Vermont last minute? And because even Bing Crosby says on the TV, like, I know it's Christmas tomorrow, folks, but if you want to make a man happy, then get on a plane. Whatever. Um, <laughs> nice, nice Bing Crosby accent. Thanks. <laughs> Been waiting for this moment, all movie. Um, I like these people had the money to just get on a train and show up to Vermont. What are the people living in like Hawaii or Alaska? Like they're there pretty quickly. And I do love the fact that you know it was event television in 1954 to watch the Ed Harris Sullivan show, whatever it was. Ed Harris, yeah, oh. everyone knows he had his own show. Um, you know, like oh, I, I, I must stay up and watch the Ed Sullivan show, like. Oh, good old days. Um, but like you're saying, it's all building up to this one moment that makes it a Christmas movie. I've seen Mean Girls. They all build up to do that Jingle Bell Rock number, but Mean Girls is never considered a Christmas movie. So, you know, it's same like halfway thing. through the movie. It still doesn't matter. They're still building up to it. All right? It's the same, same argument. Okay? <laughs> it's dumb. Um, I don't know what's dumb. This movie's okay. Um, yeah, it's nice with the snow at the end, and it's all like, oh, isn't that sweet? And they sing White Christmas again, which is good. Um, I'm just trying to read my notes here. I've written song, We Love Him. Your, what? Your... Because we love him, we love him. You're soft, you're sloppy. Um... I don't think that's a line. (laughs) Yes, it is. He talks about how they look like shit, basically. And he says that they're sloppy. Okay. I thought just maybe that was something that Mallory was saying to me at the time, and then it just... Nope. I wrote it down. Um, but they're dressed in Santa outfits at the end, so that makes it a Christmas movie. Um, doesn't Bruce Willis have a Santa hat at some point in Die Hard? That makes it a Christmas movie. Um, anyway, yes. No. Uh, the end. A Paramount picture. I do love how they have to have put that at the end. Oh, the 50s were a good time. Is it my turn? Yes. yes. Oh, just quickly, oh. did you Hello, know this, that in less than a year's time that Marty McFly would be going back in time to uh, visit his mum and dad in the 1955? There you go. Just thought I'd point that out. Very Not a Christmas, though. Relevant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, when, what's her name again? Rosemary the one Clinton. who sings? Yeah, that one. <laughs> when she... The scene where she sings, I never really thought about it before, but she literally stands in one place for basically the entire thing. Like, she has to walk down about three stairs, Mm -hmm. and then she stands in one spot for the entire song. And I never thought about it until you pointed that out, that she doesn't dance. Um, Moving on to their big fight still. I, I just get so annoyed with her, and even when he's on the, what is it, Ed Harrison show... And she, like, watches on TV and realizes, oh, like, they weren't doing something, like, cruel and mean to this guy. Like, I'm still annoyed with her. I'm like, why didn't you just talk to him? Like, you had so many opportunities to be like, hey, I think what you're doing is wrong. But she doesn't say anything. And I think that that might annoy me more than the fact that, like, of anything else. Like, I think that's why I'm annoyed with her. Like, she doesn't, she stands up for what she believes in by leaving and not being a part of it. But she isn't, like, actively standing up for herself and saying, like, hey, you're doing something wrong. Does that make sense? Well, no, it kind of does, because, I mean, it's sort of like what I was saying earlier. She's not 
chastising anybody. She's just saying, I think what you're doing is wrong. I'm not going to stand in anybody else's way, but I just don't want to be a part of it. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like uh, she's just not very eloquent in explaining herself, and she just, like, gets up and leaves, and, oh, I just get so annoyed at her. I'm still so annoyed at her. I like Judy better. Um, and other things happen. They go back to the lodge in Vermont. The I agree with Colin, though. Like, every time I watch him, except this time, because I was trying to explain to Ben what was freaking happening, but when the general <laughs> walks into wow. the room and... Like, I think he tears up a bit. I think his eyes get watery. I'm with They Jamie. get like, watery, I, yeah. They definitely get watery. But, but like, that men part can't just, cry in 1954. Well, no, it, that's what's so good about it is that it's somehow more emotional to watch a guy this close to crying instead of a guy who just cries. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I just get emotional at that part. I'm like, oh, everything is happy. And you like, you get emotional in the most random. What was that thing we watched recently and you cried in? It was like <laughs> Rush Hour so... Three. <laughs> we watched something recently. You legitimately cried in something. I'm like, why are you crying in this? This is not sad. I don't know. Maybe that was the Johnny Unleashed. Tsunami. Yeah, that's the one, Colin. Johnny Tsunami. The Brink Unleashed because you thought it was so bad. <laughs> Turn it no. off! Turn it off! Um, and then when they sing White Christmas, this is possibly my least favorite scene in the movie. What? Yeah. I, like, you I know which movie it. you're watching, right? I know, but it just, like, it doesn't have the emotion for me that it does at the beginning. Like, at the beginning when they're at war and Bing Crosby like, sings it and everyone's sad because they're not at home with their families and all that kind of stuff. Like, that gets me. But then, at the end, when they sing it, it just, it feels forced to me. Like, it feels like they knew they had to put it in there. Like, they knew it was Christmas time. They knew that this was an important part of the movie. But it's just not, like, it doesn't hit me in the same way that it does at the beginning of the movie. I think that knowing a bit of history about the song kind of helps with that too, because the song was original. There was a, additional verses when this song was first written, like before even it appeared in Holiday Inn. Uh, and I think it was something like Irvin Berlin was in Los Angeles and was writing the song, and all he was seeing was like palm trees at Christmas. And the song was actually like with the additional verse was about the fact that you're in a place where there is no snow. And eventually that kind of got cut from it. But the entire point of the song White Christmas is, you know, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas like because you don't have it right now, which I personally think, at least knowing that and kind of listening to the lyrics, makes this, yeah, it's not Suit played for an emotional way. It's it's like you're trying from, this is like your, you know, it, it, get up and cheer because Rocky Balboa just went the distance moment. Okay, that movie it, is the most boring movie oh, shut that your I have mouth. ever seen. No, it's don't you dare. so boring. All right, well, White Christmas isn't a Christmas movie. Ouch. You like this movie. <laughs> I like Rocky more. Okay, well then. Don't but, know what's wrong with you. <laughs> my point being is that this is like you're triumphant moment this is like the the heroic moment of the movie it's like hey we've been dreaming about a white christmas now we finally got snow look at that that's why i think that moment plays so well but it's not meant to be emotional here 
the way it is in the yeah. beginning. Yeah. It, like, it does wrap up the movie perfectly, though. Like, it fits. It just doesn't... I don't relate with it as well. It's always about yeah. you, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Correct. Uh, the world revolves else... around me. <laughs> did anybody I'm else sorry. notice the uh, the moment after Betty gives Bob the nice giant metal white knight and he's like this is from you and uh just before he kisses her he literally throws it into the christmas tree like this thing weighs about 50 pounds like the whole tree should come crashing down he's like hey thanks for the great presents just throws it away i didn't uh, that no colin <laughs> i guess we're kind of wrapped up on the movie here then um Rap, i get just it? want because it's christmas ah <laughs> Just going back to what Ben was criticizing about how, oh, the Ed, Ed Sullivan show or whatever, uh, like appointment viewing for everybody. Uh, during 1954, the Ed Sullivan show was ranked number five that season with an average of like 12 million viewers or whatever. Now, you got to imagine this is early days of TV when not everybody even had TVs. So 12 million viewers is huge. But just to put it in perspective... Uh, Elvis's appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show, 60 million people watched. The Beatles' appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show, 73.7 million people watched. So I think that it's fair to say that if this is what they're modeling it after, this would be something where everybody would watch it. Plus, keep in mind, there were, what, three channels back in those days? So if you were going to sit down at 7 o'clock on a Sunday or whatever to watch something, I mean, you had three choices. The the one with 70 million people watching is obviously the one you're going to watch. Ben... Well, I mean, I just dream that seven people will listen to us one day and this would be appointment listening, but whatever, Colin. The 70 million that listen to Double R7. <laughs> now available via iTunes. Um, well, because this movie's so old, we're not going to have the same box office facts here, but uh, I just want to... Uh, this was obviously the number one movie the year it came out in, like, by a wide margin, um, but... Uh, just to put the box office in, into perspective, this movie made $30 million in 1954. So $30 million in 1954 in today's dollars would be basically $275 million. Like imagine a movie like this made the equivalent of $275 million today. And obviously with a lot more movie screens and this coming out with the whole VistaVision thing, this is during a time period where box office grosses are down. Uh, but that would put it well ahead of what Mission Impossible Fallout has made uh, and just slightly under Deadpool 2 as far as box office. So, I mean, this movie was huge when it came out and obviously it's gone on to become a Christmas classic. Um, the reviews for it were, I, I you can't find like an overall rating or whatever. Uh, if you go on IMDb, you can kind of see the fan rating like a 7.6 out of 10, which is pretty decent. Uh, but just going through a couple of uh, reviews that they have here on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, one negative one uh, from Time Magazine says, A big fat yam of a picture, richly candied with VistaVision, Paramount's answer to Cinescope, Technicolor, tunes by Irving Berlin, massive production numbers, and big stars. Unfortunately, the yam is still a yam. Uh, another one here. The yam is still a yam. Sorry. Not Typical 50s clickbait. Um... Daily Telegraph says, a good musical with a lot of star power. Uh, that, these are more modern reviews, by the way. Uh, I don't know if I could even find one from 1954. Let me see if I could find the oldest review on here, uh, which is still modern day, never mind. <laughs> uh, but anyways, 
the movie didn't go on to get nominated for any Oscars or anything, but I mean, it was by far a bigger hit than Holiday Inn. Uh, I, I personally like to watch both of these movies every single year, like Holiday Inn and this. Holiday Inn, I don't view so much as a Christmas movie because it literally is about every holiday over the course of an entire year. Like this, it starts and ends at Christmas. But I, I'm going to kind of go back to one of the things that Tracy said at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> I miss Tracy. Uh, which is just, there's something about this that just feels like the whole feel of this movie just feels like Christmas. You know, it, it's, it's good spirited. It's about giving a gift to somebody. Um, it's about a lack of weather and this is what we need for it to feel like Christmas. And just the fact that the movie ends with the snow, it's a, it's the fact that Ben says this is not a Christmas movie almost plays into the whole purpose of this movie is that until the snow comes in the end, Nothing was right. It wasn't Christmas until the snow comes. So I'm actually going to say that, Ben, you got the point of this movie. You did not need Mallory to explain it to you. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, and one more thing to run through here. Uh, just our plot keywords on IMDb. You went through, uh, of course, one of the good ones early on with Vermont guinea films. Pigs? Oh. Yes, no, he's going to get to that. <laughs> guinea pigs is on here. Wait, is that really? Is it yes. really? Oh, uh, like Christmas, the number one movie, <laughs> Guinea Pigs, uh, on IMDb's list here. Secret Life of Pets is number two. We need to talk about Kevin, number three. High Life 4, uh, Sky High, number five. Uh, followed by Fleabag, Bedtime Stories, Eyes Without a Face, Dr. Doolittle, and G-Force. G-Force, the only movie I believe that's actually about guinea pigs is number 10 on the list. <laughs> it's a go. movie about <laughs> guinea pigs. The 10th highest rated guinea pig movie. I mean, IMDb. There's literally not a guinea pig in White Christmas, and it's ranked above the Secret Life of Pets. And what is we need to talk about, Kevin? Is that about Kevin Bacon? I want to see it. There's horseshoes on here too, by the way. Uh, so only the brave, the astronaut, farmer, the fastest gun alive, and the strawberry blonde. Uh, but as you said, horseshoes at least are in the background of this movie. There are no guinea pigs in this movie, <laughs> but oh, there's a plot keyword for White Christmas. One of the few plot, it's one of the it's... few plot keywords, too. Uh, and let's just see how racist the world really is here. Color in titles. Uh, <laughs> Green Book, which is a new movie with Viggo Mortensen. Uh, that's number one. Black Panther, number two. Oh. Red Sparrow, number three. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and White Christmas. So, um... Officially, the number one white movie is actually number five. Well, so there you cake, go. The cake in the uh, plot here. There's cake month coming soon for Mallory. Wreck-It Ralph is number one. Uh, the Shape of Water is number two. <laughs> Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Oh, that's got cake in it and downsizing. Uh, the Parents Guide on IMDb. Nothing extremely hilarious, although under the sex and nudity category... There is mild. A brief glimpse of Bob's underwear can be seen when he and Phil are shown changing outfits. Yep, that's definitely that's true. Oh, sorry, oh, Very cool-looking pipe smoking is also on here. <laughs> Frightening and intense scenes. There is a brief description of World War II bombardment. Bombardment! Bombardment! <laughs> sorry. Um, Hello. So... There we go. Uh, let's just also just end on the tagline for this movie. Joyous entertainment for every season, any year. Not just See? Christmas. Well, that's, I'm what's fully that got to do with anything, Mallory? Season could be Easter. When, when's Easter month coming soon? We can put White Christmas in there for any season. Yes. I'm in. <sighs> any season's Easter month movies. Are there actually Easter now. movies out there? 
Is that a thing? Uh, I don't know. Can we find Easter movies on IMDb? I don't know. I've just Googled. Oh, there is. Hop, Rise of the Guardians, Risen, Son of God, Dead Snow, Ice Age, The Great Escapade, Springtime with Rue, An Easter Carol. Uh, what? The dog the who dog saved, saved Easter. Easter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please, can we? <laughs> uh, and you know what makes the dog that saved Easter even better? Is a Dean Cain's in it. It's Dean Cain. You know, Dean Cain's really struggling for life, but he's the star of a movie called The Dog Who Saved Easter. <laughs> like they couldn't. Have it in them to come up with a movie about the dog that saved Christmas. They're like, let's do the dog that saved Easter. I can't wait for the dog that saved Arbor Day coming next. You, you know, you know, Tom Welling got um, the dog who saved Christmas. So then <laughs> Dean Cain's, oh, that's not fair. That other Superman act against the same. Oh, oh Mario Lopez is the voice of Zeus. Oh. We really could do this is a month because you know we covered Bill Goldberg in, right? Yes. Okay, it, the year after Santa's sleigh comes out, there is a horror film called Easter Bunny Kill Kill. <laughs> Does that have Dean Kane in it too? <laughs> no, sadly, no. Ah. <laughs> Can you imagine if it did though? <laughs> Um, oh my goodness. We should get back to White Christmas. Sorry again, Mel. <laughs> it's okay. You guys just get distracted and I accept it. Jamie bought this movie. Uh, I'm not even going to explain why because it's self-explanatory. I'm totally buying this movie. Mallory, what are you doing? I'm buying it. This is like the very top buy that I could ever have. Um, ben, um, you're not the deciding vote because A, your opinion doesn't matter and B, <laughs> well, you're already outnumbered but we're still curious. What are you doing? Well, I'm not bidding it, so there's a start. Um, and I'm not buying it either. I'm going to rent it. Um, I mean, it, it was fine. It was, you know, it was decent, but it's not something that I'm going to rush out to watch anytime again soon. Sorry, Mallory. Um, Literally, the first thing I said after this movie was over was, can we watch it again? So you will be watching it again. Eh, can we'll I just see. say, along with that, um, like, we just watched this movie today, and. I'll be going to bed after we're done this episode here. And I've already debated. I'm like, do I want to just put on White Christmas and fall asleep to that? <laughs> right. Well, no. Um, well, I mean, you can. It's not up to me to decide that. But um, <laughs> I have a feeling I'll have to watch this on Christmas Eve. But we're watching the Santa Claus, Mallory. So that's, you know, that's happening. Oh, that's another good one. I don't think I've seen it. Oh, what, what the f- you know what? You can listen to our podcast on it, too. It's a pill. You could. <laughs> you could be the first one to listen to our podcast on it. Wait, actually? That's sad. No. I love you both. Um, so, Ben's the only one renting this thing. Uh, he's an idiot. Can we at least get an opinion, Ben? Is this a proper Christmas movie now that we've explained it to you? No. Okay. Shut up, then. <laughs> Uh, what's coming up next, Ben? Jingle all the way! All the way. Put the cookie down! (laughs) Mallory, are you going to say jingle all the way? way? No. What? Wait, what was the question? 
Have I seen it or will I watch it? Um, <laughs> don't know. I just want to point out that this movie is all about Arnie. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger in a Christmas movie trying to find a toy for his son. It sells himself. But gee, it has a good um, side cast as well. We have Mrs. Hanks, a.k.a. Rita Wilson. We have Anakin Skywalker, a.k.a. Jake Lloyd. Sinbad is in this movie. Um, we have Phil Hartman. You might remember him from such movies as... Um, is this one of his very last roles? Like, he wasn't that long after this that he died, wasn't it? Um, I would imagine. But uh, Jim Belushi is in this movie. Um, it's it's great. This movie is fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, Jingle All The Way. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger tries to fight. It's double time. Um, and also filmed in a city where Colin and I first met in Minneapolis. Uh, oh, I didn't even know that. Well, they they are in the um the it is just trust me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I trust you. I wasn't calling you a liar. Uh, well, you should. Um, sometimes I do lie. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm gonna say this is kind of like the last action hero. It took me a while before I ever saw this movie, uh, and and I'm a huge Schwarzenegger fan. Like I said, I think there's only two Schwarzenegger movies I have never seen. But there's something about when a Schwarzenegger movie comes out. If I don't see it right away, and it either doesn't make a lot of money or gets a bad reputation it turns me off of wanting to see it and much like the last action hero i didn't see this for years until i think it was on tv and when i did see it i'm like i don't get it i think this is a great movie yeah i understand why it got bad reviews and why you know the box office wasn't the best i mean it's not it's not really classy entertainment it's uh it's not you know trashy in any way but this isn't like you know really sophisticated white christmas uh, movies for people with brains who oh. know what Christmas is all about. This is for people who want to see Arnold Schwarzenegger make a fool of himself. And I mean, I think this movie succeeds in the same ways that Santa Claus does. It's just, it's just a fun, hilarious Christmas movie. And uh, I think by the time I eventually saw this, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was obviously an adult, but I think the movie plays better for adults than it does for kids, at least as far as uh, I'm concerned. Um, I think I, it's, I didn't watch this last year, uh, so it's been about two or three years since I've seen this now, so I'm excited for it. But uh, like you mentioned, the whole cast, I mean, Phil Hartman and Sinbad and uh, Jim Belushi. I mean, it's not even just Arnold Schwarzenegger, but Arnold Schwarzenegger obviously is the selling point. And, and Mallory, you are going to watch this movie with me, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have a choice. It has a line with Arnold Schwarzenegger literally going, Put that cookie down! Now! It's like the best line ever. Yes. <laughs> Shut up. Leave me alone. And then following that will be Die Hard to wrap it up. Yes, the real Christmas, Christmas movie of all these six. That not we're a Christmas movie. <laughs> Jamie keeps saying it's not a Christmas movie too, but again, it's a wonderful it's a life. Weird thing to say. Like, go and watch your stupid White Christmas and pretend that's a Christmas movie. Hey, I like White Christmas. It is a Christmas movie. It's called Christmas in the title, Ben. It's not called Die Hard Christmas. I could rename 2001 A Space Odyssey, 2001 A Christmas Odyssey. It doesn't make it a Christmas movie. 
Well, it does if you have Santa outfits at the end and you're singing a song at the beginning of the end with the name Christmas in it and it's about giving a Christmas gift to a guy whose Christmas is about to be ruined because there's no snow at Christmas in Vermont. Well, the Christmas well Capital the Christmas world. movie, as we established, because they get sent off over the Christmas holidays because they've got shit parents and it's snowing and there's a dinosaur in the snow. So Jurassic World is a Christmas movie. <laughs> Shut up and end the podcast. <laughs> You're hosting it. Oh, you end the podcast. <laughs> okay, I'm ending it. I've had enough of you. Um, also, we're continuing on with Christmas stuff. Uh, as Rossi and I are doing Christmas TV random rewatches. So we have already covered... Um, I forget what our first one was. Uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And there's a bunch of other stuff out there, too, um, which we're still <laughs> up in the air. Tonight. Every single Monday, we'll have a random rewatch. Rossi still has not gotten back to me. At the time we're recording this, he's not gotten back to me what we're recording uh, in only a few days. Classic Rossi. So, yeah, Rossi, who I bet you, though, Rossi believes White Christmas is a Christmas movie. So there. Well, Rossi believes um, that that things are good when they're not. So, yeah. Rossi still believes in Santa Claus. <laughs> Rossi is Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, anyways, so listen to that on Mondays, and then next week as we come back, we jingle all the way, and then eventually Die Hard, and eventually Merry Christmas, and then uh, the show's over, sorry to say. Uh, or at least the month is over. Lots of other months planned. We've got a whole year planned following that. Uh, probably a bit of a break in January, but lots more stuff to come. Right, Ben? Absolutely, Colin, and we are going to be pre-planning a lot of it because... Next year revolves around about a nearly a three-month stretch of Star Wars movies. So um, we need to make sure that we're covering the other crap before we get to Star Wars month and two halves. <laughs> month and two halves. Um, anyways, make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, Instagram, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, YouTube. Uh, this episode has been brought to you by Brink Unleashed 10. Um, featuring <laughs> all your favorite stars of the Oz. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it's the only sponsor we've got. Sorry. <laughs> we have to sponsor ourselves. Anyways, my name is Colin, and Lord help the sister that comes between me and my man. My name is Ben, and if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't know how to peel a potato. My name is Mallory, and you're lucky. You might have been stuck with this weirdsmobile for life. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.